<laughs> and we are live. You didn't say it. Uh, <laughs> we, we got some people already in here. What's up, Fox? Thank you. Yeah, put me in the game, coach. What's up? We got an individual. Uh, hold on. Let's see if we can get this thing up. Hello. All right. Yeah. So today, you know, we are back with Ignis and not only are we with Ignis, but uh, we, we have another guy who's about to say something in a minute here, but today's topic, right? You know, uh, well, 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 first of all, you know, I, I got to admit uh, something real quick. I like milk, right? Okay. I had my milkies with me and I have them in this class. Uh, my name is Ahmed Mali. I host the show Civil Offense. And today we are talking about capitalism and communism. Uh, what are those? We'll be answering what they are. First of all, are they compatible with anarchism? Uh, ANCAPs or ANCOMs? Who are the real anarchists, right? <laughs> we'll be addressing those questions as well as ideological perspectives on what anarchism is and figuring out how accurate those views are. Uh, so today I am with, first of all, Ignis. How you doing, Ignis? I'm doing all right, doing all right. What do you mean by you had your milkies? You just had like your milkies on hand? Your it's glasses, nice do you call your glasses of cup of milk milkies? Or is that something else? Is that where you got it? No, I, well, you know, I have milkies, okay? Oh, okay. So but if you take some of, uh, of milk here. Mm, I see, I see. All right, and then we have Ancat <laughs> in person, live. I don't think he'll show his face, but he's here. Uh, it I says, here. Yeah. says I'm echoing. Do I sound like I'm echoing? Uh oh. I mean, there's maybe like a little bit of a reverb or something. Probably through the other mic, right? Possibly. Maybe. Uh, is it bad? Let me know. I could try maybe sitting further away, potentially. That could work. Yeah, perhaps. Maybe when he talks. Is it me that's echoing, or is it when Ancat talks that he's echoing? All right, we'll get that answered in a second here. Yeah. Now, first of all, before before we uh, figure that out, <laughs> we're just going to go straight into it. Uh, what is capitalism? I mean, I guess that's kind of a broad question, but it, it's perfect for the stream today because that's kind of what we want to talk about. But Ignis, I think I'll let you go ahead first. I would say just I would go with um, Hoppe's definition in his theory of socialism and capitalism, where capitalism is the private ownership of the means of production or private ownership of the market. What does it simple. mean? By, what do you mean by private ownership? Uh, what I mean by private ownership is individual ownership over uh, these things, means of production being mostly capital goods uh, external to oneself. But an important factor is that one of the major factors of production is labor. And if you're going to say that the public owns the means of production, labor is a means of production and that the public would then own labor and labor is just the actions of your body so the public would own your body okay um i yeah i guess i'll let ancat go ahead so, on that so like so would that include or exclude state ownership uh the state is a public entity so right but like if it. you're talking about like monarcho governments like you know hopper for instance talks about with that like because he calls for instance like monarchies private in that in that sense i mean it depends on how you're going to go about defining uh, a monarchy because right. in, in certain ways you could say that it is owned by one individual in a great many ways that you, you can say that it isn't because uh, that no one person like holds all the keys to power, the keys to power distributed among the king's court and everything like that. And that gets into a bit of the uh, wider political theory. Right. But, okay, so I suppose I would ask, like, how does somebody own something under capitalism? Uh, I mean, 
to own something, you would need a valid property claim. And the valid property claims, uh, to my knowledge, are only consistent. Uh, the only system of consistent valid property claims would be libertarian natural law, which is uh, the claims specifically contained with it would be homesteading. So being the first to uh, implement uh, unowned resources as a means. If I pick up a stick from the wild, no one's ever used the stick before. Uh, and then I implement it as a back scratcher. Uh, I then own the stick. So and would you then, say there's some sort of, well, like proof of homesteading as, like in, in some form? I mean, in order to act out these uh, property norms in reality, you need to have it on the basis of standards of evidence. So evidence of me uh, being the first to homestead the stick, I could like carve my initials into the stick or something like else like that. But in order to convince other people that I, in fact, did homestead the stick rather than someone else prior to myself, uh, I need to make a uh, mark or an other way uh, have an objective thing to point to rather than just my own claim that uh, I was you, the first to do this. Yeah, were you continuing to answer that question I was asking yeah. before that? And then aside from homesteading it yourself, another way to acquire resources is by voluntarily trading with someone else. So... Uh, if I have my back scratching stick and I decide to give it to you for uh, sl a slab of uh, one pound of pork or something like that. Uh, we keep it halal here, though. We keep, <laughs> we keep it halal. Um, but if I wanted to do that, you're within your right so long as you truly own the pork and I'm within my right so long as I truly own the stick to trade it with each other and then... <laughs> You, you gave me some meat for my stick. <laughs> the, the fox says, carve my initials in a stick. So if I carve my initials into a virgin woman's ass, can I claim ownership? No, no, you can't. <laughs> no, that's a person. Well, actually, okay. Yeah, I, I guess what differentiates a person from other property then? Uh, so a person is a scarce resource, just like any other. Uh, what is different about a person is i forget the exact proof when it comes to uh the origination of property o over oneself um but it could simply be just that once you are once like you have your conception you implement your own body as a means in order to build itself out further you being the animating force of the uh cells that first began you uh but that is uh i'm probably not doing it justice because of this i haven't looked up too much into uh but in terms of uh other libertarian it's not necessarily like the origination but a proof that you can't argue against it without contradicting yourself when you engage in argumentation with another person uh, the reason, one of the reasons that you are engaging is because you believe uh, implicitly through your act that they have ownership over themselves in that they're able to uh, engage in this, uh, again, argument to try to find truth, uh, to try to Man, I'm not doing this justice okay. right now. Well, an individual, well, okay, an so... in, hold on, an individual comment is something uh, he said I'm not going to go through all the comments right now. I'm just going to go yeah. through this one first. Hold on. Let me see if I can pull it up. Okay. For some reason, it's not doing it. Oh, there we go. Uh, well, they have potential to where an inanimate object does not. 
yeah. because I guess the Fox said like uh, he was saying that uh, it hasn't been owner used. <laughs> and yes, a virgin woman's a scarce resource, uh, but if they cannot demonstrate moral agency, so yeah, he he uh, he said that. Zach, what's up? I'm gonna get to your uh, question in a bit, but yeah, thank you, thank you for the love on the glass of milk. I love it too. Well, just on like one thing, I would just say that like. The, the idea of, you know, of trying to, like, homestead a person kind of has the same problem as trying to, like, homestead already owned property. Yeah. Because right there you're initiating, you're directly initiating conflict. And you can't really, you can't really separate your own self from, yeah. you know, your own person in the same way that you could, for instance, like, trade a stick. So, so, so regardless of someone, it's, it's sort of the same problem with, like, trying to sell yourself into slavery. You can't really, like, um, you know essentially like what what selling yourself into slavery is doing is essentially you saying that um at some point in the future you can basically do anything you can essentially do anything that you want to me even if i retract consent so it's basically the idea of like saying that um in at some point in the future i can you know i i can i voluntarily have the ability to not um, consent to things in the future or, or have people be able to do things to me without my consent. Mm -hmm. But, but for, but for, you know, if, if we're talking about generally, you know, the idea of rights, consent has to be sustained, you know, so you can't just yeah. say, um, like if you're on your deathbed, for instance, you can't say, okay, in like 20 minutes, um, you can, you know, lethal inject me, even if I say no, you have to con continuously say, okay, are you fine with, you know, um, you know, turning on the lethal injection? Are you fine with um, actually putting in the chemicals X, Y, and Z through each step of the process? You know, so, so, so consent has to be sustained. Yeah. I, hold on. Yeah. I figured out how to get rid of the echo when he's talking. I just got to press mute on myself and I can do that pretty easily. So we got that covered. Right, uh, so. But yeah, deathbed, it's like a family guy, funny moments. He's right. saying his last words. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I would say is self. Uh, I would hold self-ownership as true. I don't think I'm I've reviewed the theory enough to adequately defend it as a proposition uh, in terms of its origination from conception, birth, the start of a human being. Uh, but I could talk about everything that uh, proceeds from it. Okay. <laughs> right. And, and I think one more thing to point out, too, is that I think if we're talking about, you know, what is the distinction between like libertarian claims on, you know, property rights versus pretty much all others is that libertarian property claims can only emerge through you know through purposeful action on scarce resources it's the action that demarcates the your you know your claim to property whereas basically all other claims whether you talk about like liberal claims or marxist claims or you know other forms of like um you know other like status forms of property is that property comes from just i wrote down on a piece of paper that i own the property and now i get it you know um, I, I basically I said that I own the property. Therefore, um, so so essentially for other for other non-libertarian claims about property, their claims are fundamentally distinct from human action. And I think that's like a very fundamental thing to highlight at the very least. And I think that alone honestly makes, you know, even if even if some you know libertarians may not like be fully, fully down on the theory in some cases, I think that makes automatically libertarian claims to property a lot stronger than basically anyone else. Yeah. It's usually just by fiat or by right. some reasoning that's similar to libertarian. Like the uh, libertarian ho is homesteading was built upon the idea of like the Lockean homesteading, um, yeah. but made a bit more precise and refined. All right. So we got uh, Legacy Zach. I wanted to answer his question real quick. He said, thoughts on how one articulates their claim during a dispute upon that land. 
which is an interesting question. So I assume he's saying like, okay, basically how do you display a, like a claim that you have to land? Uh, it would typically be to show the means that you uh, use the land for. So if you're using the land for grazing animals, you've built a fence around it, you have the animals upon it. And so you're using it for that. Um, other than that, say just like a recording of just like hey i found this land everything like that uh it depends like on like the, yeah or just like you want evidence that you have homesteaded this land um outside of that uh if you don't have any evidence to your property claim then your property claim is pretty much worthless even though it may still be true like if we had an omniscient god who could uh resolve every single dispute and tell us what is the case definitively without a doubt then we wouldn't have any need for standards of evidence at anything, but we live in the real world. So we have to have standards of evidence. He'll tell us who owns Israel for real. <laughs> you know, that's one of the things too. Um, when it came, when it comes to like the Israeli land claim, I heard someone say, it's just like, well, if the God of Israel is true, uh, then him granting them the like divine right to Israel would be a true property claim. Definitionally. So, and what I would say is he could have granted you the land. You still must have a true claim to it, such as either homesteading any part of the land that hasn't been implemented as a means before, which I don't know how much is left of that. I'm guessing there's not much left of that. Um, but otherwise, through voluntary transaction, acquiring that land. Which, boy, that would have been a lot more peaceful. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I actually, this was something like during the stream I wanted to pick your brain on was sort of the idea of um, land titles, because there have been debates, you know, even going back to the early uh, 19th century um, from libertarians arguing, oh, you know, whether land counts as a legitimate property claim. I'm a bit more skeptical of it, um, mainly for the reason that, well, first of all, if we're talking about like giant land titles so for instance like this rich guy who you know owns like a thousand acres of land you know that he hasn't even touched upon right like that's a clear example for instance where you've seen basically um he hasn't even seen the land he hasn't acted upon the land he hasn't used the land really as a you know acted upon the land as you know employed it to his ends He's really just saying he's really just getting this decree from the state that says, okay, you have the title, you know, you have the deed to the land, um, this sort of arbitrary box of land. Um, so that was sort of one of the first things that made me skeptical of the idea of, well, you know, these giant land titles that we see today existing in a world without these legal titles. Um, but I also started to see problems with the idea of, you know, what, for instance, could you do to the land? you know, a, a patch of land that would demonstrate that you can exclude others from the land. So for instance, if we're, it's a lot easier to see how you can do this with, for instance, a spearfish or a, like a steer, um, like a stick for, you know, either soaking one's fire or, um, you know, using it for uh, spearfishing, right? Those are completely contradictory ends. But if we're talking about something on land, right, like me building a house on this patch of land and then someone else building another house in the patch of land, those aren't really contradictory ends. So I'm kind of wondering, like, what can you do? What specifically would you have to do to the land to actually demonstrate that you own it? Because I've also had problems, you know, and this is kind of the last point that I'll make. I've also sort of had problems with the idea of like, oh, well, I fenced in the land, you know, so technically I own the land inside of it. Well, I mean, 
that kind of presents problems for, okay, would jumping over it be fine? You know, would, you know, is, is me, if I were to able to actually act upon the land inside, the only thing I've really demonstrated in our mind seems to be just the fence, not really the land inside of it. You're just, you're, you're not even using it at that point. Um, so what I would first like to point out in terms of like, is land a thing that you can have valid property claims over? If you were to take the proposition that it isn't, land in this context is equivalent to all natural resources because all natural resources existed like upon land. Um, so that would be all trees, lumber, all of that is considered land in this sort of context because for you to acquire those natural resources, you must act upon the land for which it came from. Um, and that's the issue that I have with Georgism because Georgism is that land and thus natural resources um, cannot be privately owned. They are owned by all in common. So any uh, act to make them exclusive is stealing from the collective. And therefore, we can have this state oversee this land and then just tax right. the people because you must make it exclusive to some extent to, you know, live. Um, <laughs> so we'll have this land communism where the state gets to control, where the state has ownership over the land and thus can give it out how they see fit and tax it how they see fit um uh, real quick uh, i just made your mic a bit louder because i think it was like kind of quiet if anybody in the okay. chat thinks that you're at a good volume now if it ignis is at a good volume now type niggas in the chat <laughs> <laughs> yeah Jesus. um do you want to finish your point or uh there was that point about land communism right. then in terms of the um fence sort of situation uh when you build a fence upon a piece of property you are making it exclusive uh you are building a barrier as the um objective external thing to point to to say that this is the area in which i have made exclusive uh if you are uh intruding upon it like any form of tre trespass or what's called a tort which is the trespass of property um any form of trespass including property is the contradictory use of that space because the original owner would rather have that space been free and then if you are entering upon that space that is a contradiction in that you want to occupy that space where they want nothing to occupy that space they would rather have it be free i see okay well um i think to touch upon the georgian your fuck uh georgism point um I definitely do agree that like Georgists are retarded. They're basically just left-wing <laughs> minarchists, you know. Um, I, I mean, would and rather not even a Georgist law they, than every other law. Like, if right. I had a choice to live in a country with that, but like, still, it's land communism. Yeah. Um, but I think with land, I mean, for instance, there's a difference between occupancy and homesteading, right? So, for instance, like, you know, two people can occupy a patch of land and not homestead it. So for instance, like, like Native Americans, for instance, two native tribes are both using a river to fish. Um, both tribes can occupy the land. It, it's not common ownership because obviously like we know that common ownership is impossible, right? Like, I mean, we both agree with yeah. this, but there is such they can a thing, act I as think. If it is true. What was that? They can act as if it's true. Like, oh, we all own this in common, but it's just like, right. well, no. <laughs> I mean, it's you true. could, yeah. So for instance, you could have like one guy own it sort of like the state does because for instance like when the state owns a public park it's not even really technically common it's more just the state owns the park and yeah. then lets whoever they want 
you know, to use it. So it is still technically like a singular owner. Um, but like I could see instances where, you know, you could apply this sort of same standard to land, I think, where you have, you have occupancy of the land so people can actually like, you know, it's not like both people can go on the land and like cut down the tree. They just, for instance, wouldn't be able to say, oh, well, you know, I, I definitively claim this patch of land and all the resources in it. Because that's kind of another problem, too, is that with, with land titles, you'd have to demonstrate not only your ownership to the land itself, but also that you own all the resources inside of it. And, um, and with regards to fencing, I'm not like necessarily against that as a standard of property, but I think I'm a bit more skeptical of seeing it as something that like, I feel like that kind of claim would need to be a bit, a bit stronger than just, I use my resources and because I completely get what you're saying, but to me, it just seems like, okay, well, I'm, I'm building my resources and just, you know, making my resources just, um, you know, around this designated area, you know, but, but, but the area itself, you haven't, you know, for me, you haven't really like demonstrated that you can exclude others from that area, just so you can exclude others from like your fence, for instance. Yeah. If I could hop in here real quick, I'm just like, the, the way I'm seeing it is like, you're creating the fence, you're homesteading that essentially by, by making the fence itself. So now you have ownership of the fence, but you don't really have ownership of everything inside of it because it's like, I just have ownership of this thing, not like everything else, like inside, because why would I have ownership over everything inside? Why wouldn't I have ownership over everything outside? If I decided, okay, this is a reverse fence. Uh, well, what I would say is what are you making exclusive? Uh, and there's an issue of encapsulation too and this is an issue with uh the reverse fence sort of thing if you are trying to encapsulate other people within your property you're trying to claim exclusive ownership over them basically so where like if you uh found a sleeping person and then built like a titanium box around them uh encapsulating them by like you you own this titanium box and then you place it around them to where you haven't touched their person of at all but they're completely encapsulated inside and then they wake up and then they can't trespass outside of your box no the encasing of the person the encapsulation of the person is the aggression you are uh claiming the rights uh claiming exclusive right over their body by encapsulating them in such a way Um, okay wait wait but if i built a dome around earth could i like basically homestead (laughs) all of space if you built a dome around Earth, could you homestead all of space? Right. Yo, I want to do that. Because I'm just applying the standard that you put that, like, the problematic issue there is that there are other people, but, you know, we don't know that there are other people in space. So pretty much I'm just homesteading space. So for that to be the case, there would have to be no actor on the other side of this barrier. So if aliens exist... This is aggression either upon them to uh, like enter or upon us to like cross the barrier. Um, outside of that, <laughs> uh, I love how like oh sorry, go ahead. Engineering problem, but I... Um, I wanted to I wanted to touch upon another point too because you've been talking about like contained within the land. I think something that may be conflated is the like status mindset when it can't, comes to land ownership and what I've seen as what is justified under libertarian property norms is that under the status model, uh, when you own a like plot of land on earth, you own it from uh, the ground 
all the way to the center of the Earth and then all the way up to the atmosphere where whenever space is defined. Actually, wait, no, you own it a little bit lower because we needed to let the planes fly or something like that. You do right. not own that. You own the like actual amount of physical resources that you use, not just the abstraction of like the space itself. Say just like the topsoil, um, unless you dig down and use the well or any or like to build a well, uh, that amount of space. Say like um, if you've walked your property, uh, you're claiming like as well as building your fence, making the property exclusive to yourself. Um, then like you own it up to your like head height or something like that. Okay, so Ankit, if you have anything to that, go ahead. But I'm gonna get a couple questions in from Zach afterward because he has been commenting some stuff. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think we've kind of touched upon sort of the, you know, the interesting topics about land. I was just going to say that, like, I, I love how, like, you know, libertarian debates over, you know, property ethics, it's e even just this conversation is like 90% more, um, you know, sophisticated than any like Marxist conception of property, because they're just like, well, uh, property exists uh, because the state uh, decrees that it exists. Da -da -da -da. You know, uh, they, they basically have no standard for like, it, they don't even talk about this. They just, um, you know, they, they, they just have a very like, I don't know, very basic rudimentary conception of property. All right. So Zach has a question. He says, what stops a rent seeker, quote unquote, from just becoming a neo feudal or sorry, neo feudal baron? Um, if someone sets rules upon their property, uh, the punishment can only be within um, natural law, you don't own somebody just because they're upon your property. And just because you say, Hey, if you trespass in this property, I have the right to, um, grape your insides. No, <laughs> no, you don't. You can remove them from your property. If they refuse to leave the property, then you may use force to remove them from your property. Um, but just because someone breaks whatever arbitrary rule doesn't mean you may do whatever you want to their body, because if they do not consent to the enforcement of that arbitrary rule, they may leave. You have the right to enforce trespass, um, but if they like agree to leave and leave, then you can't just grape their insides. Yeah, it seems to be like what whatever would be necessary to actually, you know, expel them from the property and like you know, yeah. graping someone. There's no situation where you, where that would be like necessary to get someone off your property. You know, um, so I, I mean, I would agree with that. You're just having me imagine trying to construct scenarios where that's the case. Uh, and right. I hate you for that. <laughs> okay, let's, uh, I'll just start going through the chats from there. Uh, yeah, Mr. Merchant did type in the chat that you're at a good volume. <laughs> uh, let's see. Also, if said person owns an apartment complex, pays to maintain it, and people willingly enter into contract to rent said place and it's all voluntary, I don't see a problem with it. Like yeah, no to be a neo feudal baron or just to do that? Okay, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna just assume you just meant do that because like he said yeah. also, so that's just why I assumed. I mean, like a, an owner of property can be like the monarch of that property. I am the king. I declare the rules. You still cannot violate uh, natural law. You still ought not aggress. Yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna like because I I know like the fox's opinions. I don't think he meant like the part above. Yeah. It's just I I just he said also, so I was like <laughs> okay maybe, but uh, yeah, I mean like. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The only Nothing's thing I'll comment on that is, I don't know, it just seems like weird for him to like conflate. Because for me, like you, you owning your property seems to be categorically completely different than like even a feudal monarch 
you know, controlling a state. So I don't know, like, it doesn't make sense to like call, like conflate that to, oh, well, I'm the monarch of my property. I'm the king of my property. Like, like monarchs and kings to me are like inherently statist, you know, and it's kind of the same problem with like, you know, calling like monarchy, like monarchies, private governments, you know, like to me, even in like the ANCAP conception, private property would be inherently. And I think we, we've had conversations about this in the discord too. Um, but like, at least to me, it makes more sense to call that like inherently statist, you know? Yeah. And I would, I would make the point to say that this is mostly just like a uh, loose use of the term, right? A uh, liberal use of it where, Oh, liberal. Um, <laughs> you maybe well, you could, like declare liberal? yourself the monarch. You could say, I am the state, that sort of shit. Uh, you can have no subjects. And then are you a monarch? Sure, why not? You've declared yourself to be. Um, but you're not part of the anti-productive class because you don't um, steal from the productive class, basically. Okay, you don't so, expropriate resources from oops, the productive class. Not that. Uh, let's see. So an individual says, uh, but in our system, how uh, renting works, it's extortionate. Yes. Uh, I would say in part. I would say like the uh, aggressive interference with the market uh, heavily weighs it. I would say in part weighs it in favor of the landlords and then to the extent that it's in favor of the landlords, it's then in favor of the state because of how many housing regulations and whatnot there are. Like the market is currently slanted to where there is an undersupply of housing and then an, uh, a huge demand of uh, or surplus demand of towards housing to where people really need to rent, especially in certain areas. But because of zoning laws, how, uh, construction regulations, housing re regulations, HOAs, etc., and then just general monetary policy from the Federal Reserve and fucking with mortgage rates, yada, 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 um, you have it to where landlords can charge absolutely what is colloquially, colloquially understood to be extortionate rates. Um, but then in other ways, the landlord has forced association with its renters in many ways to where... Like a landlord can't, uh, for any reason, let go of a renter, uh, and then they the state mandates some terms of agreement between the landlord and renter. Uh, but yeah, it's all fucked with. Right, and, and interestingly enough, this is the actual. This is like what the case that you kind of just made is was almost verbatim the exact case that like early left wing anarchists made during you know made during the nineteenth century. Um, you know, they weren't claiming that, and to be fair, like some of them were, you know, literally claiming that like yeah. renting is like, you know, like you can like, you can like execute your landlord or whatever. Um, but in context, most of their critiques of, for instance, like land rent, um, you know, wasn't of that volunt you know, that technically voluntary action. It was the, you know, the, the artificially propping up of, you know, land rent, um, as this conception from the state and putting, you know, putting these workers in this, you know, position of leverage. And this is sort of the problem that I've seen with like a lot of like ANCAPs, some of the more vulgar ones, like trying to, you know, not like completely like, you know, simp for rent, but I don't know. It's just, it just seems really weird considering like that, you know, in, in a society post-state, I, I feel like everyone would just have, you know, the, the actual income and the ability to just own their own property, you know, like, why would, you know, why would rent, you know, why would rent be this common thing, especially like in the way that it's constructed now, where you literally like are, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, um, you know, having to, 
you know, like I've, I've seen like stories of like girls having to be like sexual favors for landlords, you know, that's like, like that, that would like exist in Encapistan, you know, I don't know. It just seems. What sort of things are you looking at there? It's true. It happens. No, no, I've no, seen I, it. Well, I've seen like. Red- <laughs> <a landlord. laughs> You've seen the videos. <laughs> Yo, yeah. I saw them online, dude. Look them up. Look up uh, a girl can't pay landlord rent uh, has to do a favor. It was, um, yeah, I saw it in a Reddit post where this is like apparently like a common thing for a lot of girls who like can't pay rent. They they do like favors for their landlord. Yeah, I, I'm sure and there's a lot on Twitter. I'm sure there's a lot on Twitter. It's called X now. So just look up uh, paying landlord X videos. <laughs> okay, but for real though, I actually have, have something to add to this. I mean, Ignis, like I, I know I understand and I do agree that like, you know, the regulations on like on the landlords themselves uh, do play a part in this for sure. Uh, but I think like a, a part of it to also acknowledge would be the idea that landlords have leverage over their tenants because of the state and because of the legal system. They have the legal system on their side, even like, okay, so they do have the cops on their side to kick you out. Even if there's like squatters rights, like they still can overwhelmingly win in court. I mean, like they just have that like leverage over you to evict you, uh, you know, I mean, like generally speaking, like they the have United some States. levels of leverage over you. I mean, squatting in terms of the United States came about in like direct violation of libertarian um, natural law. And how I've heard it explained before is that uh, when we, everyone was moving out West, you would have situations where a person would come upon a cabin that, was obviously built by someone else because they don't just appear out of nature. (laughs) Um, But like no sign of any like one currently living there. Um, It's starting to fall apart a little bit in some parts. So he says, okay, I'm going to stake my claim here. I'll repair this cabin, which somebody probably died uh, eventually just because that happens. Um, I'll make renovations to it, everything else like that. I'll start my ranch or whatever. Um, But then the, previous owner comes back and is just like hey what the fuck this is my cabin get the fuck out of here and the united states was like we got a side on the squatter and that's not the right answer that is the wrong answer the squatter or like in this case the squatter uh the home improver owns the improvements to the home he may take those away if he so pleases um but he does not own like the land itself he does not own the original cabin um the original cabin owner can uh, enact justice or seek justice for the changes that were made to the property, such as like if he tore down the cabin to rebuild it with other materials, just like, hey, you owe me for the cabin you just tore down, even if it was kind of shitty. Um, but the United States sided with with the squatter. So then we have squatters rights of, oh, if if property is abandoned, as in like, somebody doesn't use it where in libertarian property norms like if the owner just like completely gives up all claims then it's abandoned to the state if you don't use it for a certain amount of time it's abandoned um or if it's like seemingly abandoned uh the squatter can move in the squatter has rights to stay there and it's just no that's not the case so the use of the cops to enforce the property norm um, is aggression on the part of the state. I wouldn't say it's on a part of the landlords because the state forces landowners to go through them. Um, so I don't have much of a problem of, hey, someone's trespassing on my property. I have to call the state. I would prefer calling a security company, um, but the final interaction has to be handled by the state. Or, hey, someone stole my phone, car, whatever. Got to call a cop.
So a few things here. Uh, first of all, with the squatters rights, I was using that to say like, people may claim to places that are less landlord friendly as like evidence that, Oh, well, you know, the state is actually on the side of the tenants and therefore like there is no like point of leverage over tenants when they're renting. Uh, and I just brought that up to say like, well, there are still other things they can do like use the police. And I, I mean, like you do have a point when you say like, okay, yeah, they are forced to go through the state. Uh, but like pretty much like what my point was is that they have that point of leverage over people. And like th this wouldn't be true in a, like an actually free society, but like, because they have this, like it, it also changes how they're acting against the people that actually live there because it wouldn't be the exact same if uh, you were to be evicted like you know well I, I mean like let's say somebody somehow was renting like and you know they, they were I don't know let, let's say in a free society for some reason somebody's renting the property owner's like well I no longer want to engage in this contract with you uh, it wouldn't exactly go as it does now like it, it wouldn't be this thing where like you know they just show up with a gun at your door and it's like okay now get out or else you know also like renting would still exist in a free society uh, because yeah. of time preference where people don't want to invest the expenditure or anything or maybe they just don't want um to necessarily stay in one place and just hunker down in one place buy property there um but people yeah. would rather have this um transient contract where they can stay for a month or however long in this piece of property and then move on somewhere else um and I so I should have, like, I should have corrected it not to say like renting as a, like any sort of renting, but more so like actual leases with like formal contracts written yeah. out. Like you will be obligated to pay this money to me every month or else you're gone. Like that's what I mean by it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and but what would you say is the point of leverage? And then I'll let him make the point. Well, I mean, again, like, you know, you, you don't really have any power to say like, uh, like, you know, like if they're like, okay, this contract has ended and like, you've been living there for a certain amount of time, like you really don't have any choice, but to just be kicked out. And it's like, okay, well <laughs> you're kind of screwed. Like as far as where you can go, just because like, I mean, it's not like the property prices are really good because of what's happening in the market. So I, I mean, like you're you're pretty much not just like, there's not just one landlord that has like leverage over you. I'd just say like in general, like they have this collective power over you. And and essentially like if you're looking for new housing, you're essentially screwed because of that. In the same way that like if you're fired from your job, yes, like your employer has a right to like stop doing business with you. But if you're looking for a new job, then you're kind of screwed in the market just because like of the way it looks now because of state intervention. Are you contending that this is aggression or it's that it's just bad? I, I'm not saying it's necessarily aggression. I'm just, yeah, I am saying it's bad. I, I'm saying okay. like it, like leverage doesn't necessarily have to mean actual like coercion yeah. or anything like that. Right, exactly. And this is like the distinction that I've made between, you know, like voluntary and voluntary because there are two sort of separate, you know, you can hear the here. air quotes. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, so, so for instance, like um, let's say there's a monopolist in my neighborhood, right? Um, a monopolist like phone company, for instance, that I essentially, if I want to have a phone, I have to, you know, make a, make a deal with them and, you know, pay the outrageous prices in a sense that's voluntary, you know, in the, in the sense that like, you, can you go and up and shoot him and fucking blow his brains out because he's, you know, charging you. Yeah. Technically no, he's not holding your gun, a gun to your head to say, you can make veal. You have the choice of either not having a phone bill or getting this expensive phone. Right. But in another sense, it kind of isn't voluntary in a sense, um, in a sense of like, you know, you have this monopolist completely controlling leverage over you and the position of monopolist power, because we know that, you know, natural monopolies aren't really a thing. Um, that monopolist power came through violent mechanisms. In a sense, it also isn't voluntary. So, you know, for instance, like I think a lot of the leftist critiques are valid, but the solution here isn't to like, you know, pop a cap in Jeff Bezos, the solution here would be to get rid of the titles that are making, you know, these, these monopolist companies possible, you know?
the state's yeah, so, the problem here. Right. Yeah. So I think you point on something that I was going to ask about, like what sort of term are you using for monopoly? And I'm guessing like from the sounds of it, you mean like state granted monopoly. Right. Um, so in that sense, it's like aggressive as they're keeping out competitors. Um, but then what I would also like to say is every owner has a monopoly over their own property. They have like the total right over it so long as it's not it's used non-aggressively. Um, so in that sense, I'd say just like um, I'm kind of confused in the sense that you are comparing this to landlords because usually it's the case that whatever landlord got the property by getting enough up and through whatever other voluntary means acquiring money by interacting with the economy or inheriting it or whatever which means that someone else further back in the line had to voluntarily interact with the economy um and then they pay the bank however much for a mortgage or whatever um but they in the only means that they can voluntarily acquire it because you can't just like stake it and it's just like i homestead this because it is likely the case that if it's a pre-built house or something like that someone else has homesteaded it um but you're trying to acquire it as best you can so i don't necessarily see how the acquisition can be like inherently aggressive or anything like that so i'm just kind of confused by how you're drawing that analogy between monopolistic phone company and landlord well, the um, well, the analogy here would be um, in like the various different power relations that the system of like landlordism creates. Like, for instance, that you mentioned earlier, um, to where, for instance, state robs your income. Um, for like, so for instance, if we're talking about the industry of landlordism, for instance, like the state, for instance, robs your income through uh, the coercive power of taxation. Um, the state puts you in this, um, you know, submissive and breedable bargain, you know, bar position of bargaining leverage, um, you know, from this landlord position, putting you in a place where you can't acquire your own property. Um, you can't, um, you don't have as many options in the market as you otherwise would. You can apply this to, you know, any, for instance, like job that you're working at, but you could also apply this to um, positions of landlordism where, you know, maybe you have only like two or three, you know, different, really shitty, really expensive uh, places that you can go to. I mean, yeah, technically that is voluntary, but all of the relations there, um, all of the property relations, all of the theft, um, all of the monopoly, you know, the, the monopoly state privilege grants, um, all of those relations coalesce into a position where, it, again, it's not it's not involuntary in the sense that like you have the right to like pop a cap in the landlord. It's it is, but it but it is in a sense involuntary in the sense that you don't really have any other options. The, they're, they're, and it's not in the sense of like you know, calling nature involuntary, where it's like you're you're in a position of nature, and um, you know you like you have to go chop down a tree to, or like you know to make firewood. Like I'm not saying involuntary in that sense. I'm saying involuntary in the sense that this collection of and this collection of of people coalescing in the agents of the state have used through their human action violent mechanisms to put you in a position where you have a lot less freedom and a lot less options. Yeah, so I'm just confused at why this is specific indictment of landlordism, because could you not apply um, the theft from taxation and the interference with the market to every situation in which you are a consumer, to every economic transaction which to which you are a consumer? Just like, oh, I can't buy a peach necessarily from all would-be players in the market 
because the state intervenes in it. And then I don't have as much money for peaches because I have that money stolen from me via taxation um, and then tariffs and protectionism and yada, yada, yada for my peaches or anything like that. Or like apply this to every other market transaction. Why is it specifically um, an indictment of a uh, landlordism? When I would say it's an indictment of like the aggressive actions of the state themselves. Well, so for instance, I think that you should honestly apply this to like every, you know, <laughs> most market actions because, you know, for instance, like the market that you're engaging in now really isn't, you know, really isn't a product of free association. It's a product of the state coming in and, you know, performing all these unethical actions. And if, you know, if you're asking me, for instance, like why I'm highlighting landlordism, um, I think landlordism, for instance, is very unique in the sense of like, oh, um, it, it's a very different mechanism of power and a very and a very different mechanism of, um, I guess, economic harm than, for instance, like, oh, well, peaches are a little bit more expensive than they otherwise would be, or like, I, you know, I don't have a choice to go buy peaches from, from, from somewhere else. We're talking about actual housing, you know, the, the place that you actually live. You know, if we're talking about, um, you know, people in the market currently, you like, you know, in my generation, um, who, you know, where housing is becoming even, even, you know, way, 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 way more affordable. We're, we're talking about all these, you know, government affordable housing programs. I think that, I think that is a much stronger area of something to highlight. It's, it's a lot more, you know, harmful in my opinion than, for instance, like, yeah, just needing to pay a dollar more for peaches or fruit or whatever. It, it would be the same with like, you know, like your water bill, for instance, the problems with those. So, so again, it's, it's not really like an indictment on the landlords. It's just acknowledging the fact that, you know, would this, would this system, uh, would these systems of power relations exist in a, you know, in a market free from intervention? I'm highly skeptical of that. I mean, and for some of the reasons that you pointed out earlier, like the ability for people to actually just have property and have more autonomy in their own lives, you know, not they, they wouldn't have to really like pay someone thousands of dollars a month just to live in a, like a shitty apartment. Yeah. So that's really the only critique, you know? Yeah. But I think like this talk of specifically applying it to landlordism um, kind of takes away from the actual focus that it should be on, which are the policies of the state specifically um, the zoning policies. Like one of the interesting yeah. things that I remember seeing um, Ben Shapiro epically own the libs uh, were like, oh, housing is so much more expensive. And he's just like, these goods are not homogenous, folks. Uh, we have bigger houses than we did before. We have more, <laughs> more electricity, more like AC, more appliances, more blah, 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 amenities. Um, but it's not like the market by itself chose for bigger houses. You have HOAs, you have zoning laws that require single family units. So you can't have like multifamily like duplexes or anything like that. Um, and then minimum square footage requirements to where oh, you wanted like a cheap house that's like on the smaller end? Fuck you. No. Cry about it. Um, and you just aren't, they aren't allowed to construct those because they don't get the permits or anything else like that. Um, so we have this mismatch in housing where you have these goods being produced that aren't, that the producers of them aren't listening to uh, the true prices of the market to where you would have a lot higher demand, I imagine, for multifamily units, for smaller houses on the plots, and everything else like that, which would bring the cost of 
housing down, but you have this interference in the market from the zoning laws, from the regulations, from the monetary policy fucking with mortgage rates um, and everything else like that, which leads to the situation where we are uh, and the poor old landlords who are just scraping by <laughs> uh, face the brunt of it. Yeah, and this is something like to highlight too is that like a lot of people make have like kind of the misconception of well, you know, uh, landlords are just these like evil, you know, evil, greedy, like you know, and some of them are for sure. Like some of them are complete assholes. But especially I mean, the it, ones where it's just like it's a business, like it's an entire yeah. corporation, and then it's just like you've got the uh, manager and assistant manager who want to waste as much time as possible because they're sadistic pieces of shit. Right, exactly. But if you're talking about, you know, someone owning some really shitty property, you know, it's not like they're making a lot of money, too. Um, so it's not like, you know, but I guess, but of course, you could compare it to like the people who actually have to live in the places and, you know, actually paying the rent. Um, so I don't think it's so I but I, so I do agree with you that I think the emphasis should be placed, you know, on the state, but I don't think that really contradicts saying that, you know, like landlordism has this inherent problem to it. And then explaining the reasons why, because I think a lot of left wingers sort of just say, well, landlord isn't bad because it's it ha they have leverage over you. You know, I think what should be what you should mention that. But I think you should you know, also highlight the underlying causes for it, which is the state. You know, yeah. so I think that's the ultimate critique there. And again, like I don't want to be you know, limited to just landlordism. I think you could expand this to so many different other areas of life and explain to, to people. I mean, how this the, is true of the job market, right. too. Yeah, exactly. So just explain to them how some of the problems they're dealing with in their daily life, like, for instance, being able to unafford, you know, their, their next rent payment, for instance, and working at the really shitty monopoly, um, you know, at the really shitty corporate job and explaining yeah. to them, you know, how these are products of of the uh, of the status mechanism. Yeah. And so, what, what, oh, sorry. I was going to say just real quick, because like it's just pointing to this as an example of the problem today and like how it like it has become so hard for people to to live and exist just normally and peacefully uh but i, I would say like one example i could point to for you because you're bringing up policy as something that's like oh well that must be the solution uh i mean like let's say like for example like you know come these like big tech companies like apple that are making products that you know go bad in a year or two and it's like then i have to buy their next one and their next one and the next one or like you know i can't really make my own computer chips or anything like that it's like what's the solution to that well it's not really a state policy there's not going to be a policy like even if you were from the framework that policy is what does anything uh you wouldn't really say like oh well we must stop them from uh like it, like um using planned obsolescence to do that it would be more so like how can we have the means to create our own phones so that we're not having to buy from apple or how could we like make our own microchips and then apple and amd won't even work as uh, organizational models uh i mean part of that too is it's not like a different policy is what is going to change thing it's the absence of policy um so like for microchips specifically because we don't want advanced microchips going to china the microchip industry is almost entirely regulated in the united states where you are not allowed to produce unless they say that you can um and then there's tons of like regulations and everything like that i don't think it's as true or like it is as important for the lower end microchips that aren't as powerful um, but for something that like, say like next generation phone technology, that's going to be like top of the line. Uh, you got to go over to Taiwan for that microchip island. Um, uh, and then one of the other points that I want to touch on specifically, uh, as it relates to living paycheck to paycheck, 
uh, it ties in the job market, it ties in uh, landlording too, is the primary cause, I would say, of all of these. Uh, they're just like the biggest cause. It's like, if you look at the percentages, it takes up the plurality, but normies don't want to learn it. Uh, but I think they're having to right now is it is the monetary policy of the Federal Reserve that Thanks. causes this fucking cycle, that causes the Austrian business cycle of just bubbles and bursts um, that causes prices to increase. Oh, we need prices to increase at least 2% a year because the people are too fucking stupid to understand that you should spend money. No, if anything, people should be saving more at times like this. And that's what they start doing. That's why you have the shrinking of the spending or anything else like that. So it's just like, dear fucking Lord, learn... I'm not saying that everyone needs to learn the theory and everything like that, but the people who want to be like actively involved in this sort of stuff need to know that the Federal Reserve is like the issue. Nothing else compares. The abolition of the IRS, sure, that would be nice. That would be nice too. Take that second seat to the Federal Reserve because that is the it is the antichrist upon this land. Yeah, and I think this is something that like I've tried to highlight too, is that like the fucking like the business cycle is one of the most important things to highlight especially to leftists and this is um one going to be one of the topics of one of my upcoming videos i don't know when probably like i have a few in the line but this will probably be like a one that's going to come up out pretty soon is essentially explaining to leftists basically just having a plea to leftists to be like hey um you should adopt the austrian method because here's the thing it's explaining basically all of the things that you want to critique, but actually explaining them better without relying on retarded economics, you know? <laughs> so we're talking about these fucking commies who like want to explain this idea of, oh, well, capitalism failed. Like we have these capitalist depressions every 10 years. Um, no, that's a product. Like what you're, what you're trying to complain about is correct, but it's the product of the business cycle. You know, these, you know, you're wondering why we have these uh these constant depressions like every 10 years. Um, yeah, that's an inherent consequence, not of the not of the, you know, quote unquote unregulated market, but you know, like precisely of the opposite. And you could take, and what I found is that you could take almost any like, you know, um, like topic within the theory of Austrian econ that, you know, critiques the state. Well, I guess critique is a bit, you know, because the method is value free, um, but it like analyzes the you know the, the product of state intervention. You can take a lot of their crit um, you know these criticisms and apply it to a lot of the things that leftists complain about. And I've talked about I think um, like the ECP as well, um, explaining like two left anarchists, um, giving them a lot more of a sophisticated understanding um, of the state as well. And this is why I think that like. And, and I think you you pointed this out in like the you know the Discord announcements like oh which um you know which which method is the real anarchists you know the ANCAPs or the ANCOMs well I think they are you know to some degree some of them I think are actually fake anarchists whether you're talking about like the you know um, uh, the police states actually really base you know in some of the ANCAP communities or if you're talking about like the ANCOMs who um, we need we need central planning to create anarchy you know I think those definitely are examples. Of like fake anarchists in those groups but if you're talking about the actual history of these two traditions um they're one they're one singular movement and if you apply 
um, you know, if you took just leftist anarchism and got and ditched some of the retarded economics from, you know, the classical period of the 19th century and introduced praxeology, I think you'd have, like, you automatically have a more sophisticated understanding of the state. Mm. Yeah, so... I was just going to mention, I guess, like with the uh, whole like policy thing earlier with the microchip stuff. Uh, so like you're of the opinion that like the best solution here, I'm not saying like the only, but like you, you think like the bet, like the preferable one is for the federal government to remove that, like that, that you think is more feasible of a solution as far as uh, yeah. solving the issue. Yeah. Remove okay. all market interventions, <laughs> including that one, including anyone where it's just like, oh, we can't have uh nuclear reactors or anything else like that or like we can't have some nuclear reactor being developed somewhere else because we need to control it so that nobody else gets a bomb or whatever and it's just like yeah preventing the proliferation of nuclear weapons would be good uh doing that in a non-aggressive way is of is of course integral um we're probably going to reach a standpoint where uh nuclear weapons are going to be proliferated whether we like it or not eventually yeah i mean i suppose the problem with that one would just be like you know it's not like anybody would be able to do it even if the state legalized it it would be like legal for like the city to build one which yeah. i assume you would say like is fine because like the energy is still there and the city's still building it like it's it's still delivering some of the benefits that would otherwise not be there i mean ideally it would be such that like uh any person with the amount of like with the capital resources can create the uh, means of production of nuclear power or anything else like that uh, but it's whatever I ideally it would be like some of the new technology where you can't even get a proper nuclear warhead that lasts for any amount of time or anything like that but probably yeah, going to see think... a uh, nuclear terrorist attack uh, within the century or something unless we all die yeah, and, I, and I've honestly seen a lot more like lefty environmentalists um, open up to this fact because this would this is also probably going to be like another part of the video that I have going over um, specifically like as a plea to environmentalists why their why all their problems can be solved um, you know through the absence of this you know the status mechanism like there isn't really a there isn't really a you know there isn't really a dichotomy between either you have um, you know the absence of state power and really sh a really shitty environment or a really clean environment and a, you know, a totalitarian Nazi state. Um, actually, it's the problem with uh, these status mechanisms that are keeping um, new innovations from actually, actually cleaning up the environment and us moving, moving beyond things like fossil fuels. And this is why I've like pointed out too, is that like, you know, right now in our, in our current like economy, fo fossil fuels are basically just a, a, a holdover that is, um, that the, uh, the the state is essentially keeping around, um, you know, for, for variety of reasons, probably too in depth to uh, get into right now. Oh shit! I just dropped something. I mean, one of the major ones is probably to support the petrodollar. Sounds like the metal pipe sound. <laughs> <laughs> you said what? Uh, one of the major reasons is probably to support the petrodollar. Like oil yeah. on the global stage is so important for control, uh, and oil being traded in dollars is like the thing that is keeping our dollar in our money or currency rather sorry uh how could i our fiat currency from inflating as much as other people's well is the um, thing keeping the state alive why don't you think yeah. they uh want to approve more nuclear power <laughs> why do you think Not, they don't want like basically free energy for everybody yeah exactly <laughs> yeah what, much what cheaper what, in, what incentive uh, would the state have for uh, you know suppressing innovations at the patent office you know 
another another pro Crazy. reason why IP is probably one of like the worst atrocities with regards to the state. But bro, Ignis, yeah, you're fucking, fucking you're getting you're getting really fucking based. Holy shit! Like pointing out the petrodollar, you know, pointing out a lot of these you know problems with uh with how the state intervenes with the with um you know the, the idea of rent and things like that. Holy shit! I mean, I've always been this based. Come on. Well, I mean, me I just, well, I, I just don't think we. I, I'll, I'll give you that, but I just don't think we've had a uh, we've had a lot of conversations about it. But holy shit! Yeah. All right. Let's. Do we have some comments uh, chat here. questions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we have Mr. Merchant. He asked a question that we already kind of had, but uh, we'll go over it for Ancat and the civil offense guy. If you want to chime <laughs> in, the civil offense guy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, could rent, not as it is currently by the state, exist in a free society, i.e., like being in a hotel works, uh, but for temporary housing? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see a problem with that. And I mean, like even like something not necessarily just like Airbnb as like a, a an organization or like a, a corporation, but like that same kind of concept where it's like you look at your phone and it's like, I need a place to live. And it's like, okay, well, let me just like get this room for like 10 days or something. And it would probably be a lot cheaper than actually getting an Airbnb. But either way, like I, I could see that as being like the norm uh, and not even having to be like, you're looking for everywhere for an apartment. Like this would just kind of be how you get an apartment. Um, yeah. Like, longer staying rather than just like a two night stay yeah I mean, uh, like there, there will still be rent but i imagine that it will probably be more like you know for convenience and vacationing rather than i literally need this to live or else i'm going to be homeless you know it'll be yeah. you, you'll have rent but you'll have rent to like uh see uh little space hubble ships uh in the uh in the asteroid belt getting to have a view of a uh, jupiter or saturn you know yeah and i mean i think one of the major things in our current environment and then also what would necessarily be true in a free society is that more off-grid technologies or uh technologies focused on like decentralizing um a lot of like utilities or anything else like that uh would be developed allowing people to just buy an acre of raw land and then with as with much fewer capital much fewer like costs than lower cost than now um, even though now you can still go off grid for a decent amount, um, not just decent. Set I mean, like you're gonna yeah. need a cup, like over ten to twenty thousand to like buy the land and get your setup going. But if you want to live a decent life out there, then yeah, it's gonna cost a lot more. Um, but I think in the future, not future, but in Liberty Land, where it's every free market and everything, state doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, it would be it would be fucking affordable as all get out bro you're just living in encapistan in your head what the fuck oh man i fucking wish i, I wish, wish i had yeah. that vivid of an event of vivid of an imagination that yeah awesome <laughs> but yeah something right. that i've pointed out as well and i i got this sort of idea from a rothbard essay on education where he sort of he sort of envisions um like education being a lot more like tutor based to where you're not really going to school necessarily you're just having like you know tutors in the home and I see that as, and he explained for a variety of reasons why that would likely be more like economically advantageous, but I'm, I'm inclined to agree. I just think that, you know, the tutorship, honestly, now in the digital age would probably be even more heightened, given that like tutorship roles would be looking like, um, you know, sort of how we see on Zoom, you know, where you just hire a professor for really cheap and they, you know, they yeah, teach that's basically what's happening anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or like, you know, you're getting... Um, Especially like without IP, for instance, you having like these, you know, these um, uh, these these programs where you uh, you t you have lec you deliver lectures, for instance, you virtually, um, or you uh, you lock, for instance, your videos behind a paywall, for instance. Yeah. 
and that yeah. is a form of like um intellectual property protection that is non-aggressive uh if people find a way to non-aggressively yeah. avoid the paywall and access the content good for them um yeah. but for that sort of thing we're kind of seeing that not in terms of like traditional education but in terms of like skillshare and everything else like that we see that but i imagine there would be a market for curriculum and then like training for uh tutors of the specific curriculum and i would also love to see um a changing of the state standards because boy the state standards for education are fucking stupid what is the one thing related to like cellular biology that everyone remembers that's like a meme of everyone coming the out mitochondria, of school? mitochondria is the powerhouse, is the powerhouse of the cell, cell. and that's it's so. fucking wrong the mitochondria <laughs> are the powerhouse of the cell there are multiple of them per <laughs> cell so even the thing that everyone remembers is fucking wrong <laughs> Oh really? I I did not fucking know that. Damn. Yeah, exactly. Bro, bro, exactly. you taught me more than my fucking uh, eighth grade biology teacher. Exactly. <laughs> Unironically. Yeah. You taught me more correct information. Hey, whoa, Dio. Uh, hold but, on. But um, I, I was just gonna say I mean, profanity I, I, that's... from Diocletian. <laughs> no way. But but I was just gonna say I mean that's that that's like a prime example of like the market basically abolishing wage labor in that section because everyone would just you know if they're if they're all teachers doing it online uh virtually yes. they're all their own independent entrepreneur wow. so um, it's it's yeah it's it's the it's the like the pl pl fuck, proliferation of you know entrepreneurship and more independence for um for um you know independent workers yeah i wanted to look up uh there was this uh movie made about this like one famous um calculus professor uh, but I can't find it. No, uh, and sorry, not calculus professor. He was like a high school calculus teacher. Um, he has he had, the movie was basically like he got a bunch of flunked kids, and it's based off a true story. He got a bunch of like flunking kids, and he got them to um, pass like the AP calculus test. There was a little bit of controversy of uh, allegations of cheating, but they retook the test, and most most of them still passed. And he How was able. Can I these kids <laughs> i think he was i think he was hispanic i'm pretty sure there was a um, south park parody oh yeah <laughs> but um what happened to him is just such a great example of like the statist market of education where he was doing such a superb amazing job that the other teachers around him hated him for setting such a high standard that they took him off like the somewhat prestigious position that he was in like they took him out out of the like the honorary position he was set back down where he was like pushed down he he's only able in this current model of education to teach like 30 students per year where if he was able to open it up like um university lecture even online i'm sure thousands of people would love to learn from this guy see his lectures and everything like that uh but no you're just gonna stay in this like little class right here you're only gonna teach the whatever students that we give you um and we're going to make sure that you never rise above the ranks because we want uh it all to be lowest common denominator for all of our teachers to make it easy for them how dare you make a fraction of the population smarter <laughs> <laughs> screw you yeah fuck you sorry okay we Sydney. got a 
let's see, legacy Zach saying in uh, free society with no constraints by the state, nuclear energy would be uh, innovate. Uh, well, I guess uh, let's see for positive exploits rather than war scenario. Governments run on violence. Humans would rather live in peace. Yeah, yeah. Uh, A lot see. of the. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, oil gives the dollar commodity since it no is uh since it no longer is valued on some basis of gold. Base motherfuckers. That's that's an interesting way to phrase that that made me think because um commodity money is a resource that has an inherent use in itself uh as well as a means of exchange of value. Um and the dollar enforcing the dollar as the only means to acquire oil in a sense makes it a, co a commodity only via aggression and right in that like framing it, it could then be considered commodity money except not not really it would still be like commodity currency it's a currency representing a commodity and everything like that like the dollar itself doesn't have oil in it which you can extract um, but the phrasing of like in regards to the commodity was interesting. Agreed. Uh, did yeah. we go over ANCAT's definition of capitalism earlier or did we just like respond to yours? Cause I don't, I think we him just responded that. to mine. No, we, we didn't. Oh, did you want to go like before? Cause we're actually going to move on to communism after the fact, but if you want to say that and then maybe Ignis can reply to it. Yeah, sure. I mean, I had a few, um, so yeah, I mean, capitalism, it honestly, has different definitions depending on the groups that you're talking to. So for instance, if you're talking to Austrians, the um, basically capitalism would be um, the absence of any kind of, you know, systemic status structure intervening on, you know, market property relations. So you're talking about like markets, um, you know, property acquired through homesteading and uh, trading. So an aggression free market, right? So that kind of capitalism, you know, obviously I would have no problems with, you know, and we would both agree on. Um, there are other definitions of capitalism, which I think are a bit more problematic. Um, ones that are used by a lot of lefty, lefties, um, where it's basically an economic system characterized um, and dominated by, in large part, you know, private fiat, basically, you know, de facto private uh, fiat titles assigned by a third party, you know, in most cases, you know, in this case, the state. Um, or to, you know, or to actors in the economy, not directly affiliated with the government. So basically, their definition would be, you know, what we have now, essentially, as mm -hmm. capitalism. And, um, and then, of course, there are the, um, you know, th there are the problematic uh, people where, whether you're talking about Marxists or some vulgar ANCAPs, where the definition is um, simultaneously definition one and definition two, you know, the, um, the, the current free market that we have in modernity. Um, right. So honestly, I prefer, I typically don't use the term just because I think I prefer the term Austro-Libertarian or like Austro-Anarchist. Yeah. Um, that's described, that just is more of a preference thing for me, but I don't, but as long as like ANCAPs are clear with what they're talking about, I don't really care to be honest. Yeah. Um, but I think it is important and it is problematic with, you know, and part of the reason why I don't use the term and why I'm skeptical of the term in general is because I see a lot of people who identify with the label who use either definition two or three. Um, and this is sort of where you get a lot of ANCAPs like defending a lot of these, um, you know, a lot of these corporate powers, like, oh, it's, you know, like what we have now, like basically them imagining what we have now is, and again, like if you press them on this, they will say like, oh, well, I don't really think that what we have now, you know, 
is a free market. But sometimes in a lot of their actions, they'll talk about, you know, what we have now as if it is a free market, you know, where they talk about, for instance, like the wage gap. Well, well, in a free market, you know, women can just choose to go to other jobs, you know, or, you know, in, in a free market, you know, um, there is no malinvestment. So what we have now is actually fine. So a lot of them will like try to use the Austrian method to sort of defend a lot of institutions that exist now that I honestly think- Are you saying the wage gap be... is a, a product of institutions? Um, so Roderick Long has made this point. Um, basically- um, and We're getting I distracted can... here, but I'll let you get back to it. I want to hear your point on this. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, so Roderick Long makes a few points on why He's not necessarily saying that like the wage gap is, you know, inherent like 100% inherently the fault of the state, but he's pointing out that like there there can be instances where um, you know, this wage gap isn't necessarily caused by um like like the wage gap actually is a problem that can be caused by for instance um people acting in their own self-interest. So for instance, if we're talking about um I'm trying to remember the exact like phrase he uses because I don't want to like mess it up or anything. But basically, like employers in some circumstances can treat um, can treat paying their women less as a commodity good. So, for instance, some some um, some business owners, for instance, might want to um, uh, might want to uh, you know have new fancy appliances. Some business owners might want to pay their women women less than men, for instance. Or you know there there are these instances where a lot of because because a lot of businesses are so disconnected from market signals that this can actually create the um, you know conditions in place where sexist bosses can actually discriminate uh, against their female employees. And he's saying that this is in our current market now. Yeah. What about the uh, employment discrimination laws and whatnot that are on the books? Like, what do you mean? Like, if you if you can prove that you're woman and getting paid less than a man because you're a woman you can sue well how would you prove that i mean that would take like a evidentiary standard of acquiring that sort of thing yeah um, so i mean so i mean i mean i imagine that like the standard of evidence you know you have to present would have to be pretty strong because i, I could see a lot of bosses getting away with it pretty easily by just saying well you know she doesn't work as hard or for instance you know we, we, we were ha we're facing budget constraints I mean, I mean, it's not it for the better, but not, it, I, I was I mean, just gonna say, isn't more often than not, isn't it like a result of like men bargaining more? Yeah. No, and I think that's a that's probably a, a an important factor, but I don't think that like critiques of the wage gap necessarily um, are inherently invalid for the reason of like you know for the reason of a lot of these interventions causing um, a lot of these you know th this idea of well um, you know if if uh, if, if if a lot of the arguments for the for the um, you know support of the wage gap rely on the sort of idea that the market is free now, you know that there aren't a lot of these uh, different malinvestments and um, and a lot of these uh, corporations that are completely uh, disconnected from price signals. So again, I, like I'm in I'm in, I'm I'm more in tendency to agree that a lot of it is down to um, the differences in male and female decisions. I mean, I've seen this in my yeah. own life for sure. Um, but I don't think that like critiques against the wage gap are completely invalid, you know? Yeah, because what I would say is um, the paleo-libertarian, whatever the fuck that means, <laughs> uh, defense, they're like not even, or explanation rather, of the wage gap is 
there exists a subset of women that, believe it or not, want to be mothers. Um, and part of that process is getting pregnant and then recovering from pregnancy and then raising the kid. Uh, a subset of those women who want to be mothers want to actually raise the kid, believe it or not. That's crazy concept. You know? That's insane. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know, right? Um, so they are necessarily going to be making less um, because they're going to devote this labor to their child and to being pregnant rather than whatever soulless employment that they would seek otherwise. I think women uh, had sexist values instilled in them and that's why they do it. Otherwise, yeah. they'd be liberated. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, and that um, also, surprise, surprise, being a mother is a full-time job. That's what like the traditionalists like, sort of viewed. Um, and to act as if it's a part-time job that you can have in addition to a full-time job and you can have it all is a fantasy. Yeah. Um, L for single mothers. Uh, but... It, <laughs> Um, because of this incentive to, uh, because they want to be mothers and raise their kids, uh, work less, they're going to necessarily be making less. And also if they still want to work, um, even during parts of their pregnancy or, uh, soon after recovery while maintaining this relationship with their kids, which is a full-time job, then they're likely going to choose things which are industries, which have more flexible hours, um, and work more suited towards, pregnant women such as say like nursing and not necessarily waste management <laughs> right i think that i think that uh, explanation is valid um yeah. I, I would argue though that i think absent a lot of these um businesses who are completely disconnected um you know from true market signals and the you know the consumer demands of people i think you would see i think you know, I can't estimate to what degree, but I wouldn't be, you know, I think that it's reasonable to assume that there would be a lot more, um, you know, a, a lot more uh, women actually getting, for instance, paid what they actually deserve and what they, you know, what they, you know, would rightfully earn as opposed to, you know, them getting discriminated against. Because I don't think like discrimination. What was that? What makes you think women wouldn't be paid less in the marketplace? Yo, I mean, <laughs> hey, maybe that, you know, honestly, that's, that's honestly, uh, you know, a, <laughs> a, um, a valid statement. I mean, who knows? Maybe the, maybe these, um, you know, maybe uh, because these corporations are so disconnected that women are artificially being paid more. Whoa, I, I saw him hail something when he did that i don't want to say the word after but hey, he, I, when I he's put, like pay put, more and he's like he puts his hand more <laughs> like you know i don't know i don't know i put my arm up like this not like this it they're going like... from here to here <laughs> <laughs> guys this is just this inflation's going crazy <laughs> no yeah i was gonna say like with uh bargaining though i think like okay because of the current like conditions i would say it's easier to be predatory towards women who right. are less likely to like stand up and say like i want yeah. you know a better pay so in the first place everybody's being lowballed it's just the women that decide to accept it i would say more so yeah i can see that for sure yeah. uh, men, are, men tend to be more disagreeable if you're more disagreeable then you won't accept that lower right. pay you'll negotiate more yada 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 Okay, so we have the fox saying women don't typically pick op occupations that pay higher, but are uh, less comfortable. Tracked in death slash injuries at work. Also, they work less hours that, and they are poor in bargaining for raises. Uh, let's see. Also, women that leave occupations for motherhood don't put in the same amount of on-job time to achieve seniority and acquire higher-paying positions. 
And let's see. So also there is certainly a skill issue, quote unquote, involved in competitive fields such as sports. And say uh, a biology issue. Yeah. Well, that's what a skill issue, skill issue could really just be anything, but um, everything's a skill issue. Let's see. Got hit by a car. Uh, Yeah. So what do they deserve? Um, Did the fox say that? Like less than they deserve or something? I don't know what he's referring to. I think that might have been referred to referring to like, oh, do they deserve less or more pay? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So let's see. But I will admit, yes, a company can have a sexist male in a position of power. True. Uh, However, far more often there are sexist women in positions of human resources that discriminate against men. I I mean, yeah, yeah, today that is definitely true, I'd say. Like, I'd say that's more common. Like, because at one point, no, but today I'd say yes. I mean, human resources just needs to be completely abolished. Fuck human resources. (laughs) It is only there because of all like the regulations and shit with the state where it's just like, oh, you can't have a hostile work environment. If I want to be with the boys and start saying shit, let me. What if what if I subjectively value a hostile work environment? exactly yeah. well and and it's not like men and women find the same things hostile in the work environment in the first place yeah. so you're obviously going to have that as an issue as well it's very biased toward what females view as like uh what is uh a, like a hostile workplace let's see so the fox says not a biology issue there are some exceptional female athletes out there however versus oh. males it is incomparable against males but in female only sports they're fantastic also female only sports don't pull in as much attention because I'd say of the difference of feats between females and males uh, in certain sports, this there are exceptions to this. I think women's tennis is very um, profitable for certain reasons. Definitely not ha- having to so, do with any noises they make. Have you seen Ryan Long? Like he's like he thinks that in order to bump up the sports revenue for women, that they should play topless. Because <laughs> they get more. Uh, I mean, see. they wouldn't I get mean, as many advertisers. I'm- they get more viewers. I'm not saying that I would support that, but if the market demands, the market demands. All right. We got Legacy Zach saying human resources needs to be renamed to wasteful management. Fuck human Uh, resources. Let's see. So, uh, do you, bro, I can't. Do you cliche Uh, it's, uh, (laughs) (laughs) are you good? Yeah. Uh, anyway, he said in a free market, women uh, would get what they deserve. What do women deserve? So he, like, are you saying Ancat did? Or I'm guessing Ancat. Yeah, that's what I think. I, I that sounds more accurate. Uh, let's see. So the fox says what, what they deserve? earn on the. Well, I guess the fox is answering the question. Uh, what they earn on the merit of their skill and effort. Okay. Uh, let's see. The market demands. Right. I, I, okay. I thought he was going in the direction of like, oh, in a free market, like women get get what they deserve. You know, like. You made, a, tell, you made like a fist motion. <laughs> I was going to make a similar joke and I disavow this future statement. Um, I'll tell you what a woman deserves based off of how well she's going to listen. Based? Okay, <laughs> let's see. So Legacy Zach says topless volleyball will now be an Olympic sport. Hell yeah, brother. Okay, so now we're going to get into communism because, I mean, like we did say this is both uh, capitalism and communism as a stream. We've kind of deep dived into capitalism, but we have talked a little bit about like leftist perspectives in this. So we're, like hopefully if you're a communist watching, you haven't just quit by now. But, you know. Uh, oh, they so- have. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. yeah, we are libertarians. So let's see. First of all, each of you, and we'll get you both at the same time this time. Uh, let's get Ankat to go first, and then you can go, Ignis. What is communism? So, like, communism is a bit more difficult than I think a concept like um, uh, like capitalism because um, just the sort of the history behind it. Um, I think the most common definition is sort of the whole you know stateless, moneyless, classless thing. Um, 
essentially there are it's a combination of a political and economic theory so it kind of has this weird mesh of like really shitty economics but also like iffy political theory it depends on if you're talking about like the anarchist or marxist varieties um if you're talking about the you know the marxist varieties they basically again they, they want the um you know the end they claim to want is anarchy you know the absence of a state um but their means to do it are basically just well we have to have this transitionary state we have to have the uh, you know the workers seize the power because you know the state can represent the people as long as uh, we get in charge um and essentially think that you know after these you know after these uh you know plans of central planning we can suddenly get anarchy and it's interestingly enough too is that um this is actually one of the early subversions of the and i mentioned this quite a few times before too um but i think it is really important to point out is that you know the early marxists were a essentially bastardization co-optation of the early libertarian movements because they were essentially arguing almost the exact same thing but didn't but were completely against the idea or didn't even conceptualize the idea of a worker state their their conception of it was to take down the status mechanism itself um directly and not have this transitionary period where you have this authoritarian state or you try to you know vie for politics they were completely against all of it um and it's really interesting how because you accept you know this idea of the transitionary state into your framework you you eventually get your and also marxism was a disavowing of ethics as well because uh, early leftist anarchists focused a lot more on ethics and um and and property as well um and we can get into that as well um their positions on property uh rights but it's interesting how you can when you when you essentially co-opt that framework into a status mentality and accept that transitionary state you essentially you know 100 years later lead to um you know the the disastrous ideas of you know marx leninism and maoism and um you know all these other basically tanky vari variations of uh, of communism you know and, and that's basically what communism is now um and that's what most people refer to when they think of communism but there are other variations, you know, existing today um, who are actually, again, it is really weird to say it, like, you know, anti-authoritarian communists, but um, uh, they, they actually do exist, technically. All right. What I got from that is that the Marxists want to trans the state. All right. You're turning this. I mean, yeah, true. Uh, what I would say is uh, going back to Hoppe's uh, dichotomous definitions between capitalism and socialism. Socialism is the uh, public ownership of means of production. What I would say communism would be is uh, the public being defined not by an entity that takes the role of the public in terms of like the central planning and everything like that. Um, it is the point of the iterative development of socialism where humanity has achieved the species being um, and all central planning, rather than being uh, centrally planned, is in effect uh, decentralized, decentralized central planning to the species <laughs> beings to act in a way that is best for the species rather than themselves. And I think the species being idea is an integral part of uh, communism. Thoughts on that? Because, oh, like, I thought you were done. Oh, I, I could continue a bit more, but it's yeah, just like without uh, to have like an anarchy to have uh, the 
public own public property norm without the enforcement from some being you're going to need this magical property of man to act in not in his own self-interest but in the interest of the species as if he were a cell of an organism zach says communism is the fallacy of utopia yeah i would say that um it, it's why i have a lot of contentions with um a lot of left anarchists and like ancom specifically Again, I don't think that they're like fake anarchists. Again, like depending on the ones that you talk to, because even yeah. with regards to property, um, if you actually read people like you know Bakunin or Proudhon and you know Kropotkin, and you know other people like Eric Malatesta, um, all of these people did believe that you had the ability to actually homestead resources and even exclusively own them. Um, they just sort of had this problematic idea of well. They're flawed economic systems for one, um, but they had sort of the idea of of collective ownership in the sense of like so. For instance, one of the most common ones that they'll cite is um, land, which I don't think is entirely illegitimate, but I wouldn't really call it collective ownership. I would just call it like um, you know occupation. For instance, um, they had other problems with, for instance, the idea of the workplace, you know, being democratic. In that sense, it would be, you know, collectively owned in the sense that, like, you know, people would, you know, each person would have a, a stake in the business, which, again, I, I have problems with them trying to sort of prescribe economies, you know, the sort of idea of, well, well, the economy would look this way, you know, absent a state. And I have, I have issues with most people who try to do this, but... Um, so would it, I don't think too much of an issue that should, the economy should look this way. Yeah, anymore. yeah. Um, and... And again, it, it's going to depend on the actual like ANCOM you talk to. If if you're talking about like the actual ANCOMs who have actually read, you know, the theorists of like Bakunin and Kropotkin, um, you know, they 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 wouldn't be in favor of, you know, if if I own like a water bottle, I I I get to like shoot someone because it's you know it has to be collectively owned, you know, um, so it's really interesting because when a lot of the early left anarchists were critiquing because they were against the idea of private property um but in context what they were critiquing were the you know the arbitrary decrees by the state and this is something that we've kind of touched upon as well is that um yeah hey if this uh, if this massive like uh, property owner through all these you know imminent domain seizures gets to acquire like 2000 acres of land yeah hey that's not an illegitimate title but they called it private property. And that's mm -hmm. that's for the most part what they were critiquing in context. Yeah. But the problem is with our language now, a lot of like modern day, you know, quote unquote, and comms um, take that to mean like you can't own anything. And this is sort of the distinction. It's why the like the anarchist, the left anarchist distinction between uh, personal and private property is different than the Marxist one because the personal versus private distinction is essentially just using different terminology to describe the ANCAP um, public versus private or the you know legitimate libertarian homesteading, uh, aka private property versus status property. Hmm. So they or would illegitimate say, property. So they they would define personal property by like the legitimate claims. Yeah, exactly. So would they not, so, for instance, like, and so, then they wouldn't consider like land and business uh, places to be legitimate claims? Um, it, I think it depended. I don't know about like businesses. I think, I think they, again, like if you talk with people like Benjamin Tucker, for instance, they sort of, 
they essentially thought that like, you know, the business relations which existed in modernity, not that it was like unethical to start a business, just the relations that currently existed in modern day capitalism wouldn't be a thing, which I agree with to some extent, but I also have disagreements with some of their arguments as well. Um, but yeah, so um, like, so for instance, Peter Kropotkin, he was an anarcho-communist. He gives the example of the difference, for instance, um, between the state granting someone the, um, the right to property versus you and a bunch of friends, uh, for instance, building a house together. Mm -hmm. Or you, for instance, constructing a house on your own on a plot of land. So he, he considered your ability to, to own that um, legitimate. Okay. And for land, it would just more so be the idea that like you need a legal title to back a huge amount of land. Mm. So, so they were, so, and again, like they didn't really have very good property ethics. I, you know, I think that the Austrian school has allowed um, property ethics to become a lot more sophisticated. What they were more focused on was critiquing the current existing property relations and critiquing fiat property. Right. Um, so, so they had sort of vague ideas on, you know, what counted as legitimate property, um, but their main concern was basically just critiquing, you know, what we have now and critiquing the state inherently. Yeah, I get you. All right. So, so I guess I would want to, uh, well, hold on. Uh, yeah. So we could go over Marxism and see what you guys think about that, like as a term and see if that you would define it as any different than communism. Just, uh, I'll let you go first, Ignis, to see what you have to say on that. I mean, I, I would go with, I, I don't think it's too different. I think they emphasize what, uh, Ann Cat has previously pointed out of the, uh, moneyless, classless, stateless society. Uh, and that is like the reference in which I was speaking about species being as well, uh, because Marxism specifically uses the Hegelian dialectics, which is taking the thesis, taking the opposite of the thesis, which is the antithesis, um, and then combining it together uh, in order to form the contradiction. And then from that rise above to get the synthesis um, and it's bullshit. It's all bullshit. If you have a contradiction, it's false. Basic Aristotelian logic without the law of non-contradiction, you literally can't reason. Like all of the laws, all of the laws of logic, um, identity, excluding the middle, non-contradiction, they all rely upon each other. If you if you can have a contradiction, you don't have any identity. You don't have any excluding the middle. You can do nothing. Good day, sir. <laughs> um, but the Hegelian dialectic is like we've seen it a lot uh, today. Like the progression from capital from feudalism to capitalism to socialism happens through a Hegelian di and then to communism happens through the Hegelian dialectic dialectic of Look at the society we have. Is it perfect? No. Tear it down. Try again. Is it socialism? No. Tear it down. Try it again. And going and going. That is why the revolution continues. That is why um, the CC. That is why, like in China, the rev revolution is, I think, probably still going on. Supposedly, um, in Cuba, it like continued on in all of Fidel Castro's life the revolution always continues because we are not at perfect socialism yet. And we will climb over mountains and mountains of bodies and skulls just to get there because it will be perfect. Yeah. And this is actually like very 
telling and very interesting in a historical concept when you read people like Bakunin who were, you know, not just critical of, you know, the whole transitionary state, but critical of the whole, like, idea of the Hegelian dialectic in the first place. Um, he, he was a part of the first International Working Men's Association along with Marx and his followers, and he was actually... Um, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but he was actually like kicked out. He was basically purged along with all the other actual anarchists from the First International Workingmen's Association. And that's actually why the First International is like, you know, portrayed as this sort of like, you know, like state socialist organization. But it actually used to contain like genuine libertarian anarchists. Um, and so like Bakunin was not only a critique, a critic of, of yeah, like the, the whole Hegelian dialectic, but was you know, basically call basically if you read some of the letters like that Bakunin wrote for First International, um, you know, just railing into railing into the Marxist idea. He he pretty much predicted the Soviet Union and he predicted like what Marxist Marxism would become, basically saying that yeah, Marxists, you're not proletarian, you're not like revolutionary. Um, no, you're just you just you essentially just want to become a new ruling class, but call it the proletarian. And he was absolutely right. But it's really interesting that you like if you read some of his writings, um, he is just completely like brutal, you know, and he really, um, and he really is in the tradition of, you know, if, if you just, if you just substitute his cult, you know, his, his recognizing that when he's talking about capitalism, he's just talking about, you know, what we have now. And if he's talking about, you know, private property or things like that, um, you know, recognizing that he's talking about these government grants for, you know, these wealthy you know, aristocrats, um, he sounds pretty much pretty similar to a lot of, uh, you know, ANCAPs even at the Mises Institute. I think I may now weigh, uh, lay awake at night fantasizing about what it would be like to see Bakunin railing all those Marxists. <laughs> <laughs> what an image. What an that image. Is a, uh, that is a hard pause right there. Yeah. You were the one that said railing. We were both yeah. looking at the camera like, what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was not thinking of that in the context that you're presenting it. You Taking don't think about Marx fucking angles. <laughs> Marx, uh, yeah, Marx and Engels uh, fan fiction, erotica. How there's okay, one rule 34 of the internet, there's gotta be 100%. <laughs> be, right? How many is my question? We'll have How to check many? it out on the civil offense after hours. Considering <laughs> that a lot of uh, Marxoids are, um, you know, chronically online. Um, the degenerates then i i wouldn't yeah. be shocked if there's a, a lot of that out there jeez how many pieces of like fan fiction are on there <laughs> just a lot more a lot more than the than just uh, the portrayals yeah Okay, so uh, yeah, you guys both mentioned like, well, I, I think you did as well, like at some point, at least, uh, the moneyless aspect of the society. So I, I would say like, you know, as far as like, the idea of like stateless being a part of it, it's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense to us, right? And like classless, I, I guess you would have to define that, right? But uh, like the moneyless seems to be the biggest one here that it's like, okay, well, you know, it, it seems like you're actually going to have a failure here of, a, of, of any sort of interaction yeah. if you just don't have any sort of uh, any sort of money interact or like uh, trading between people. To achieve the moneyless aspect, uh, or even like the classless aspect too, uh, you need that species being the like magical properties of man, where he's suddenly not man and he's actually just like an ant who's willing to act like an ant and die for the colony yeah. or everything else like that. But even more than that, have the have the knowledge even to act in the best interest of the species. Um, <clears throat> but in order for that to be the case and to truly um, 
take according to your need and work according to it as well, or however the quote goes. Uh, you need that species being, you need everyone to speak, be a species being, uh, and thus genocide all of the non-species beings. Uh, and seeing how that needs the iterative development over several civilizations uh, to go from socialism to communism because of the incremental change of supposedly the Hegelian dialectic. Uh, yeah, that's a lot of genocide. <laughs> yeah, in my mind, it would be a miserable existence to be sacrificing yeah. yourself for some sort of greater good. Because, like, I'm sure there are people that are, like, I mean, like, plenty of the people that sort of view this as a good thing. It's like, well, this is the best for society because, uh, you know, it leads to the, like, uh, I guess, flourishment of of the human condition. And, like, you won't see any more suffering or anything like that. But, I mean, like, people would probably be miserable. And it, it's not to say, like, you know, keep things the way they are now. Like, you know, uh, but it's more so to say that, like, okay, well, maybe it, we would be better off if people just did act in their own self-interest instead of, like, having to sacrifice everything for, you know, everybody else except for themselves and live terrible lives that they won't enjoy just to keep the human race going. And if that's what they have to do to live, if that's what we have to do to live as humans, then what's the point? What's the point of living if you have to live a miserable life, die, and then leave it to more people to do the exact same thing? And honestly, right. uh, like I, I forgot who this was, but I, I was seeing like a, an argument against uh, using like, well, I, I guess like using policy to uh, protect the environment because it's like protecting the environment for who? Right. Like, uh, I don't know if you you know what I'm referring to there. I, I don't remember who it was exactly. But anyway, the point being, it's like, OK, well, if we can't use the resources now, if we're supposed to save them for the next generation, uh, well, are they supposed to save that for the next generation? Like, how is what what exactly like are we supposed to put ourselves in the worst condition possible for who is the question again? Like it you I don't think they can answer it. Yeah. Where it's just like, OK, scarcity exists that we only have access to like the natural resources that we have access to. So it's just like there's the economic questions question of like how much to extract now versus save later. Um, and that's best answered by a free market. Um, but what I would also say is uh, that same point that you were touching upon where it's like if we have a responsibility to keep these natural resources in the ground for those who come after, would that not also be true for those who come after to keep those natural resources in the ground and so on and so forth? Um, and so I just don't think it is all too coherent. I think they th are talking about in terms of the here and now. Uh, I don't typically understand what they're necessarily talking about. I think they mostly have a point when it comes to uh, land, land management in terms of forestry, uh, where I think there's pretty big issue of just like, oh, the forests of the world are dying and everything like that. But it's just like... I mean, a lot of the Amazon rainforest is probably being felled because of the land management of the Brazilian government and everything like that. So don't just put at the feet of uh, private property owners and everything else like that. But it's just, again, you look into basically every problem, not every problem, but virtually every problem. And there seems to be um, a state at the root of it. Yeah, I have something interesting for this. I, I, were you going to say something? I was just going to say, hmm, I wonder why that is. It's, it's almost as if this, uh, you know, uh, a, a giant organization of warlords with uh, guns and control of all the fiat money in a particular er uh, territory um, seem to control almost everything that uh, happens within it. You know, all the economic exchanges, all the, um, you know, interactions between people. Um, so honestly, it's, it's um, but, but it is kind of funny that you're, you're completely right in that, like, you can... You can actually, because of that reason, like a lot of people say, oh, well, it's conspiracy theorists. Well, no, actually, um, if you look at like what the state is, it actually, it's not a shock at all that the state is behind the media, the state's behind, um, 
you know, all these giant corporate oligarchies, the states behind a lot of these terrible atrocities, um, given just what the state is and how much power they have. And the state's yeah, so also why I can't get a girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. The state is keeping me from having my trad goth waifu. Exactly. Forcing them to go to work instead of being, you know, their prime for me to pick from them. But uh, you know, me the from thing having is, a six pack, but that one is actually more true. <laughs> uh, you know, the thing is here, I was going to mention, I saw, and this, the story starts on me, like, like browsing the, the like Reddit. Okay. Oh, <laughs> okay. No. Sorry. But I, anyway, I was looking at anti-work, right. And I was like looking at some guy's post and he was talking in some comment section about how, like, it was very agreeable as far as what he was saying. He was like the state, or I don't know. He didn't say the state. I think he may have said like, uh, like, well, I don't think he called it capitalism either. I think he just said like, artificial standards have to be enforced for capitalism to be a thing, essentially meaning the economic system, right? I know he meant it by that, but uh, like then he was saying like, okay, well, yeah, it, it keeps us in poverty and like it keeps us from actually attaining like better, like, you know, uh, lives. And then he was just going on this like long tangent that I was like really agreeing with. And I was like, wow, he's actually saying everything right. But at the end of it, he's like, that's why I support UBI. And it's like, really? <laughs> like, no. like, but the thing with that is, it's like, okay, so you agree that artificial scarcity is something that's being enforced. Okay, so if you all do, first of all, then why are you saying that the resources should be blocked off from people using them? Because obviously that is literally artificial scarcity right there and preventing this sort of uh, like material flourishment of people. But also the point there being, okay, so now that you don't want people like extracting any sort of resources, homesteading anything, like using it to their own ends so that they can actually have decent lives. Now it's like, okay, well, actually, I think we should just make more money and give it to them. And I, I'm not necessarily saying like, that, well, if you were to ask a Marxist, they'd want a, a transition period of socialism. So they'd also say like, give everybody money. Right. And like, okay, well, th that's a little inconsistent with what you want there at the end with no money. But <laughs> also the point there being is like, that's your only resource or not resource. That's your only solution. Like put a bandaid on it pretty much. Like you're, you're thinking like put a bandaid on it by giving some guy like a hundred dollars to buy groceries today. Uh, but yeah, no, no, no. Just keep him in the exact same position of where he is like, you know, struggling to make ends meet and like he can buy groceries for one more day and maybe a more year or maybe like for the rest of his life, but he's still going to be living in this shitty condition. And it's like, you're not really saying anything about that. It's really just like, how do we help this man keep doing it? <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yes, money, money, money isn't an emergent property of human action. Money is just uh, printed by the government. That's how money emerges. If we print <laughs> the it, only money is fiat money. Right. Uh, one of the things too, uh, and I know for some reason a lot of like libertarians supported Yang or anything like that, and it's just like, do you know what a central bank digital currency is? <laughs> Do you know that that would be the prime opportunity for them to roll it out? <laughs> is if like the only way that you can get Gibbs is if you sign up for a CBDC uh, and then it would roll out and then you'd have no freedom of finance or anything else like that. It would all be controlled by them. Take your so state credits and buy your seed oil goy slop. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of why I think that a lot of like within the state's propaganda is is like promoting UBI kind of for that very reason is that, yeah, it, and it's, it's the same reason why I think the state like promotes welfare as well. But um, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if they're promoting uh, UBI for that reason. You know, it's a crazy right. strategy to just buy votes with other people's money. Yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's insane to think about that the state could actually do that. So I think we've answered this a bit, but we could go into it some more because I'm sure Ancat at least has more to say on it, but I'm sure you do too, Ignis. Was Marx an anarchist? No. <laughs> Not even close. I like how you sat there and he was like, 
Yeah, and this is like this is what frustrates me because a lot of ancoms are like really good, and and they won't like say he's an anarchist, but they'll like they will actually like prop up Marx as this like revolutionary figure. But even if you read a lot of the early literature from like the first anarcho-communists and socialists, they fucking hated Marx. They considered Marx to literally be a subversion of the anarchist movements. They, um, they fucking. And I don't want to say like rail again, but you know, they they really did um, completely. They pounded him. Yeah. <laughs> um, they they, they really just beat did. him to submission. Yeah. They they really did make Marx submissive and breedable. They laid it down on him. But what I'm what you're not thinking about here, Ancat, is that uh, he wanted a stateless society. Yeah, you know, he he said that his end goal was a state. Therefore, he's an. <laughs> uh, but one yeah, of the this things- um, what was that? One of the things that I do want to focus on is I think the root of his ideology was that he wanted to sit on his couch, not shower, by the way. Marx didn't shower often. If you didn't know that, he didn't shower often. That he actually is unironically true. He, yeah. was um, he was a legitimate Discord user. He wanted society to support his theorizing, his thinking. Um, and I think the root of it is resentment and jealousy that why can't I just sit on the couch and think all day? Why must I actually make money? Um, he should have just stuck with the charity that he was getting because Angles would support him. His family would support him. He was a real asshole about it. So it just sounds like he was like a resentful, spiteful prick and just wants society to be structured to benefit him because he just wanted Gibbs. It's everything else was window dressing they just want gibbs everything else is window dressing yeah he he basically was um yeah just this uh this uh loser who didn't shower and uh basically just just um thought i want to be an academic and a revolutionary um and he read uh he read prudhomme's um what is property and thought hmm how can i take whatever uh you know this new anarchism thing that prudhomme wrote and completely bastardize the shit out of it and turn it into this uh, status hellhole nightmare so what exactly was the plan for like when communism was achieved and like what does he think about now for money or I guess not money for Gibbs? Who do you mean he? Like Marx. Like so once it once communism's a thing like you know what exactly does he sit around you know getting Gibbs for? Uh he gets Gibbs for theorizing which is But what does of he theorize about when communism's already a thing? More communism. <laughs> oh. Okay. So not straight to the coal mines You're just, just like thinking, talking, about thinking about other stuff communism. I imagine. Where it's just like communism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe the next stage in the material dialectic after communism. I mean, I don't know if there is one, but I'd imagine that it's not like the last thing. Super communism. (laughs) Communism plus. Space communism. Yeah, exactly. The communism delta variant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. So I actually wanted to pull up a tweet. This is, you know, I, I haven't done it all show, so I'll, I'll go on X, you know, fine. Also, if any communist is still watching, I commend you for sitting here <laughs> yeah, and you. saying that your ideology would, is window dressing. I, I would just say to like any, if there are any Marxists watching, just like, please, if you're going to stay in that like left lane, like just fucking like, please just read Perdon, read Bakunin, read Kropotkin, like their critiques of the state as an inherent problem are going to solve like all the things that you want to. Um, but with, within a way better and anti-authoritarian framework. And I, like, I can guarantee you, you're going to find a lot more substance from those theorists than you will from someone like Marx. And then also, and then also like study the Austrian school, like link, I'll, you know, I'll, 
uh, DM me and I'll link you some uh, good Mises Institute lectures. We've also got your website linked in the description oh, yeah, all okay. the time, pretty much at this yeah, point. Uh, let's see. So I was going to pull up this tweet. Hold on. I got it. I got it. So it's it's from Anarch, your your your, uh, your bud that you put oh, in your yeah. recommended channels. Oh yeah. Uh, but it's actually one that I wanted to show. To is, is it a bad tweet? Well, it's it's eh, like it, it's about I, the it's like about Mark. Like it's like we could compare it to Marxism pretty much. Like and then talk about it there. Because yeah. I I do like him. Yeah. He makes like pretty decent videos. Um, like on the state and whatnot, and critiquing um and talking about direct action. But yeah, he does have this problem with you know not entirely getting that maybe Marx isn't the best theorist to read. Like, like he doesn't really completely understand the distinction between anarchism and Marxism. You know, he thinks that, that like some of their theories are, are compatible when in reality they aren't either with, with regards to praxis or at least like the left anarchists were against the transitionary state. That's number one. And then number two, Marx and the early anarchists were completely different on ethics. You know, Marx was basically just a relativist, you know, so that's why he didn't really have any critique of the state inherently as an organization, whereas the early like people like Proudhon for sure did. And they had lots of reasons for why the state was illegitimate. So he wrote 90% of anti-anarchist arguments are anti-communist arguments. Communism is a stateless, classless, moneyless society. If you don't think it's possible to run a society without a state, then you aren't a communist. Um, no, because, co well, because communism, like, presupposes a lot of problematic economic theories. Uh, so that would just be, like, the first thing I'd point out. What I wanted yeah. to point out was that he said, you know, you run a society, uh, even when it's anarchist, like, you, you're running it as if, like, I, I suppose as there is some sort of council or something. Yeah, I'd like to know like what his opinion on that is, honestly, because like, I mean, I was thinking he's like a more consistent ANCOM, but then I yeah. saw like this and I'm like, well, what does he mean by run a society? Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of the problem that I've seen with, you know, this is one of the biggest problems within the ANCOM movement. And it is a problem with like ANCAPs as well to some degree. But a lot of them try to sort of just like, unfortunately, reconstruct status mechanisms in their idea of anarchy. You know, oh, it's not a, uh, you know, it's it's not a state. It's a democratically elected horizontal worker federation. You know, uh, it, it, it just uh, it just controls um, how the, you know, the property relations of the society are, you know, it's, yeah. it's but but it, but but you can get away with it by just calling it voluntary. You called it voluntary, even though what you're describing is kind of identical to a state, you know. Yeah, that's. I what mean, I was... even if it's even even if it is voluntarily funded, if it has if it has that same leverage the state does over you, I mean, it's going to eventually perform aggressive actions against you. So I, I wouldn't even call you can't really call that voluntary. It's the same problem with like the idea of oh well, like a voluntary government, you know, that like Ron Paul uh, promotes. Yeah, and what I would say is it I'd build off that point where it's just wordplay, and yeah. in order to have like a voluntary government of like the democratically run horizontal whatever the fuck you just said yeah. um you would need the species being because for that to be anarchism for that to be voluntary you would need unanimous consent um and thus right. a species being would be one who you who or like a, these species beings would be ones who unanimously consent to it uh yeah but that's magic fairy tale land <laughs> to think that Every single man would do that. And that's why uh, within within ANCAP, you can have ANCOM or whatever. And what people usually just like to say is like, hey, you can homestead a piece of land or voluntarily acquire that with somebody and then declare that, hey, I don't want anybody who isn't part of this community to trespass to enter. 
I want to approve like communists to enter and we're going to be farming dawn till dusk uh, and achieve our stateless, classless, moneyless society. And it's going to be hell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so pretty much, I think we could uh, wrap this up, you know, cause we did talk, you know, probably more about capitalism if anything, but yeah, we could go yeah. on about communism because uh, there was something that Ancat had mentioned before, like last night he was saying uh, like identity politics was one thing you wanted to talk about. So oh, yeah. you could go over that if you had anything on it. And actually, I mean, if you wrote anything else for the show, because I know you wrote some notes as well, we could go after uh, and talk about that. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I did want to mention with the whole um, like stateless money is classless stuff um, is that interestingly enough, like in context, the idea of classlessness um, was act was basically just the equivalent of the absence of any kind of like state class or any kind of like um, gentry land owning class collaborating with the state. So at least with regards to like the and the ANCAP or sorry, the ANCOM definition of like stateless money is classless, like classless would also imply statelessness too. But they yeah. also thought that there wouldn't be like these domination, like these um these uh dominating hierarchical power structures with like, you know, the the vast inequality between Jeff Bezos and like his, you know, his, his uh, worker. Um, and then one more thing. To yeah. And I mean that I agree with though. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and one more thing to comment on that too, is that, um, uh, oh crap. I, I was going to, oh yeah. Um, th this is, this, this is a common misconception with um, like leftists. And so of the ANCOM and the Marxist variety is that um, this idea was not, like egalitarianism in the sense that like we would think today, like we're, we're um, even Marx for instance, and this is a problematic critique of, it, it's a bad critique of Marx because um, Marxists can respond to this by just saying, well, well, Marx wasn't in favor of egalitarianism. Look at this quote, because he actually did mention in several quotes that um, he, did, he wasn't in favor of this kind of uh, equal, everyone is actually equal society where, um, you know, everyone's making the same money and, you know, um, everyone has the exact same property relations because even Marx, for instance, pointed out that um, if you're, there are so many different factors that can make um, your living situation unequal, whether it's your, your family structure or where you're born. For instance, if you're born in a rural community versus you know, you're born in the city, there are lots of factors that make inequality impossible. What Marx advocated for was the abolition of all class distinctions, which is slightly different than the anarchist variety. And it's the same thing that like the the early ANCOMs advocated too. Um, but it's an important like distinction to make because it actually allows you to argue against, you know, it's, it's that meme where it's like me reading Mark so I can uh, critique him better, you know, or whatever. Um, but that was something no that I wanted to uh, point out. Yeah. But, but it, oh. oh yeah, sorry. One more thing. Um, it is problematic though, that a lot of leftists actually do believe in like just unfettered equality um, because a lot of them, you know, because they are so distinct from a lot of the original theorists writing um, that, like, I can see how their writings would lead to, you know, the, the sort of modern leftists that we see today, literally arguing that, like, everyone needs to be working the same and, you know, equality is, you know, in, in this sense is, is uh, just. Well, what are you? In, inequality in virtually every sense is um, fallacious, invalid. Yeah. not a virtue everything else like that just like in always wrong um and i don't think it should be held as like an ideal yeah and like especially when it comes to like say like wealth uh we don't want people to be equally poor i want everyone to be prosperous 
but that's going to have some like difference between people because some people are going to be better at allocating scarce resources with alternative uses than others. There, there is a sense of equality that I think can be justified, even though I wouldn't really like call it under this name, but it's something that like Roderick Long and people like Kevin Carson and a lot of the people from uh, C4SS talk about, and a lot of the early, like, you know, the left anarchists, um, the idea of either equality of authority or equality in rights in the sense that, um, you know, you, ha you have an equal autonomy, um, you, you essentially, you're only equal with other people in the sense that you don't have the right to dominate other people um, in, a, in an aggressive and authoritarian manner. I think that's only like a property of like internal and external consistency of the non-aggression principle. Because if it's just like, oh, it doesn't apply to me, then that's just an inconsistent norm. So it's not true in all cases. So it's just like, that's just a matter of like, that norm would be false. What, so I don't norm? think like, or like, um, non-aggression asterisk, except for me, <laughs> where I'm allowed to, or something well, like that. Yeah, 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 right. And, and so like, there, there are different ways of describing the same thing, but I don't yeah. think, I think it's kind of problematic because I think you can, you can reach out to a lot of these people who have maybe like semi-egalitarian, uh, frameworks, but you know, message them into a way that's going to appeal to their sensibilities without actually, with removing some of the bad um, aspects of their thought, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I'm not the there, type there to, like, appeal to, like, to the left-wing anarchists, I'll say What that. was that? I'm not the type to appeal to left-wing anarchists, I'll say yeah. that. Or, like, left-wing individuals to bring them towards anarchy. Yeah. And, and I have, like, qualms with sort of appealing to different <clears throat> demographics. I just think that it's, like... It's something important because I think it, even if you're not going to like outreach to people, it, it helps you understand other people's beliefs and understand the sort of thought process behind them, you know? Yeah. Know your yes. audience. I was just going to say like um, pretty much on the, the wealth equality stuff, like more so it, it's, it's not about like everybody has the same amount of money. It's just, you know, well, I, I guess, you know, some people would like use wealth equality to say that, but I, you know, in my mind, it's just more so like homeless isn't a thing or homelessness isn't a thing that's like really known about. Like it's like, and not just because of the fact that like everybody's ignoring it. It's like, it's just not really like common at all. Like something like yeah. that, or like, you know, struggling to, to make a living is just not something that's really heard of. Uh, like that is sort of like the standard I'd say is like, okay, yeah, finally things are all right. You know? Yeah, but I would say that's more prosperity than equality, which is why I'm for prosperity over equality. Yeah, I mean, like, but I, I don't think that would really contain people like uh, having like substantial, like, I, I guess you could say substantial, but like not like, you know, uh, I, I don't know exactly what the term I would use is just not like Jeff Bezos compared to us, I guess, is like still the the thing we're using here as a sort of the meter here. I don't really think that kind of thing would be like as known or present. I mean, I don't. I don't see any reason why, I mean, like I see some reasons why uh, there wouldn't be billionaires in the sense that there are today, because many of the ones that are today are here because of IP protections or like um, policy that favored them within the market because of the state and everything like that. Um, but I don't see why there wouldn't be wealth inequality to at least some similar degree that we would see within um, a free market where I think everybody would be more prosperous, of course, but I think there would still be the equivalent of billionaires. I, okay, so I don't think that there would be, it's hard for me to believe just given like 
how much the state props up rich people, like to the degree that they are, um, and just sort of what we know about state intervention, that there would be these like as wide chasms. And I don't think it's hard, it, I, I, but I do think that it is hard to actually like just, you know, a priori predict, um, you know, what to what level of chasms there would be. But I think that we can say, like, just looking at the current situation, that what exists now, you know, isn't actually a product of free association. So I think we can call out, um, you know, the like, and, and we can actually point to the specific examples of how the state causes income inequality. But yeah. obviously, like, I don't think that there were like, like income inequality, I'd say is like a different thing, because income, like wealth is the more important metric to go by rather than income. Yeah, true, true. Um, but but even but even so, I don't think there there even would be, um, you know, the, the degree to the income inequality that we have now. Although, of course, like as you mentioned, I think it is important to highlight wealth because just saying, well, you know, uh, people having more money is objectively better. You know, well, okay, well, what if I want let what if I'm what if I want more free time and less income, for instance? Yeah the like psychic profit it, it, it ignores people's like subjective preferences you know like yeah, and, and I, what counts as wealth but uh, oh, I would this say, is, um go, go ahead sorry i would say like i don't see any reason why it wouldn't follow like a pareto distribution in terms of wealth where you would have um what is it like the 80 20 rule and everything like that where it's just like it's going to amass itself to where like a small amount of uh the population or it's just like the richest individual is going to be way richer than like the person who's the poorest but within like a free market due to the technological development from the uh proper allocation of scarce resources with alternative uses uh technology would develop like the cost of consumer goods would fall everything else like that uh to where the poorest among us is going to be among us is going to be <laughs> prosperous <Right. laughs> you did not just say that. i just said that I just all right yeah, I mean, I think it's more like uh, back to Ignis's point earlier. I think it's more than just like intellectual property. I mean, of course, there are a lot of other benefits that come with like the corporate structure being like essentially yours to have as like a Bill Gates or a Bezos or whatever. Uh, I mean, there are like a lot of other ways that the obviously, I mean, we can just go over it again, but like I'll just keep it short by saying like, yes, the state does essentially have a lot of barriers to entry and regulations and uh, allowing people to have certain uh, licenses and whatever and yeah. so forth that allows them to be at that level, uh, you know, but like i mean also like just the incentives that come with a corporation being a corporation like these firms specifically are very incentivized to like just continue scaling upward as opposed to maybe like a, a business that wouldn't have people that are wanting to work themselves to the bone to like be at this level like even if that were the case like maybe they'd want to actually enjoy their life instead of just being drones all day every day uh i mean also like i, I think like with techno like technological increases i think you'd see less of a disparity as well just because like people could start making robots or like uh especially like large language models that essentially are doing a lot of the work for them to the point where essentially you have those drones working for you anyway uh so you don't actually have to do that yourself so if that's the case then everybody could just do it uh and everybody could just make like basically just start creating wealth for themselves like through through i mean means that are just not them putting the actual work in so i mean i feel like that itself technological increases would actually like see or help us see like a, a big decrease in that disparity Everyone gets their own auto miner to go to the center of the earth and get some gold. Auto miner? No based. Yeah. Don't 
really okay, so uh, we did want to talk about identity politics, though, right? Um, and yeah. I don't know if you had any notes specifically on that or if you just wanted to start going into it. Um, I just thought it would be an interesting topic, just considering that that's kind of like been one of the main things that's sort of taken a stranglehold on the left. And, and you've obviously like seen it on the right as well, you know, basically just everyone's at least falling into id poll to some extent. Um, and I think it's but very, the Jews very... never would. The Jews never would. <laughs> hey, yo. <laughs> We're uh, really doing a part two of the last episode, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's um, it's it's problematic for a variety of reasons, and I'm sure you have your own opinions on it too. But it it really does create this sort of collectivist mindset where you, instead of seeing yourself as this individual, you sort of see yourself as this you know this identity group, not only like as an identity group, but we've seen like increasingly over the last few decades that each identity group has 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 started to develop this inherent tie to politics, um, to a particular policy, to the state. Um, so it's almost become this sort of condition where the, uh, you are this identity group that you belong to collectively. Um, you have you have this uh, allegiance to your identity group, whether that's you know nationalism or um, you know identity to some racial or you know sexual group or whatever. Um, not only do you you know, favor those people over other people based on, you know, these arbitrary factors that don't have anything to do with, like, skill or merit, um, just happenstance. Not only do you have that, but you also have every single, like, identity group being tied to a political issue. So it's almost, it's almost become that, like, an attack on the state or an attack on a particular policy almost becomes an attack on your identity in a sort of way. And I think that's kind of what's so scary about a lot of these um, a lot of the ways that um, sort of IDPOL has been promoted in government schools and, you know, in government media is that it essentially makes your very identity um, essentially in interchangeable to the state. So not only is society as a whole mechanism interchangeable with the state, but your very identity as a person uh, is inherently tied to the state. And so you, there, there's no way within that framework that you can actually become like a genuine, you know, anti-state person because if you become an anti-state person, you just don't become a person anymore. Yeah. It's no longer you. I mean, I think part of it is just like the basic premise that a property of your identity determines whether a statement is true or false is just, or that determines the truth value of the statement is just wrong. And there, there, there's a midwit response to that where it's just like, oh, what about the statement, I am white? And it's just like, oh, that's true for you because you're white, but it's not true for someone else if they're not white. If the subject changes, if the sub subject stays the same, if it's just like this person is white and that's what's being referred to by I, then it's just like the, the identity of the person saying the actual statement doesn't change. Um, but I is relative to the person saying it. So that's just a matter of language, but the truth value of the statement itself doesn't change um, in terms of its meaning. Um, and then combine that with uh, desperate or disparate outcome theory, where if you have a difference of outcomes, then that makes it prejudiced in some regard or biased in some regard. It couldn't have possibly just been however the factors played out. It's because of like actual whatever ism sexism is racism islamophobia anti-semitism yada 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 um and then you get that effect that you were speaking about of uh any attack on any sort of gibbs program disproportionately affects 
the XYZ community, I definitely won't be filling that in because uh, my lawyers <laughs> have advised me not to. Um, any sort of um, attack on the banking sector um, affects Whoa. the um, ABC community. Uh, <laughs> any sort of um, uh, like attack on public schooling affects the, um, let me just grab some random letters, LGBT community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so on and so forth to where uh, because you are against this program for whatever reason that you hold, there's also an added reason of ism to it, of like racism, sexism, so on and so forth. Uh, if you're against any sort of like um, civil rights law, that's a very touchy subject, even though at the root of it is desperate outcome theory, as well as just forced association, um, the state claiming ownership of your property by saying that you don't get to choose who you associate with or not. We're going to force you to in the name of equality. Free association, more like you're a racist. Yeah, <laughs> that is one of the touchiest subjects, just yeah. because like... You know what the Department of Defense was named previously? The Department of War. Right. So it's just like, just because something is named, oh, this is the bill of good things and stuff. And it has like killing the elderly in it. Also based, but um, <laughs> um, just because something's named a good thing doesn't mean that it is the Department of Defense. Oh, like securing uh, the safety of American citizens. No bombing, bombing everyone. Just anyone bomb them? No. Wait. So like, when when was it named that? What year? Uh, I forget when when like the name change was, but the Department of War was like the name of it prior to uh, the change to the Department of Defense. Oh, I see. Yeah. And I thought it was like the twenties, maybe, or was it maybe later, or earlier? I I don't remember. I don't know. Probably right. when America got really um uh, war e. <laughs> <laughs> More than usual. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it kind of ramped up. Yeah. Um, well, to sort of piggyback on the point that you were making, I think it is kind of interesting, too, how, um, like, we've always known, I mean, even from the very beginning of, and this is something that early anarchists have pointed out, too, is that basically everything that the state co-ops becomes interchangeable with that thing, like, that thing as, like, this Platonistic abstract. So, for instance, you've commonly heard the, um, you know, the problem with, um, uh, oh, you don't want the state, uh, you don't want the government uh, running your uh, your child's uh, propaganda education program, then you're just against education inherently. So like when the state nationalizes an industry or what I like, what I like to call like co-opting an industry because they can do it through, you know, private firms as well. Um, when a state does this, it essentially, you know, given enough time, what happens is, is that the very concept that the state has co-opted, it basically the only way that you can think of that concept is through the mechanism of the state. So the only, you know, the only concept of education is state education. There is no other kind of education. It's just state education. And you can see this with, with literally the, you know, the, 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 the classic, you know, like, like who will build the roads, you know, roads are only something that the government can make, you know, or it's the same. Just thing an money. unimaginable technology without the state, you know, just like, Oh right. wow. A bit more complicated than concrete on <laughs> <laughs> on land that's crazy there's a lot that goes into roads but hey guess what you don't need the state to understand the blueprints if the state didn't exist then who would print the money which be because i can only conceptualize money as something that exists through the government yeah exactly it's totally not like um 
precious metals existed were used as money prior to the printing press. Right. It's not like there's Bitcoin now, okay? You have I'd to say, use the CBDCs. Oh, you mean this? You mean scam coin? I, I, I'm I'm decent with Bitcoin. Like, I don't have too much of an issue with Bitcoin. I have an issue with it being like public ledger, and then you can like track it across shit. Yeah. Um, what really matters is like the Bitcoin to dollar exchange. Like, if you do that with like a with your bank account over like some Coinbase or some shit, guess what? All the anonymity, it's gone. The feds know who you are, so don't try to buy shit with that Bitcoin. Monero, though, Monero has something to do. And I I think it's still possible for them to like um, track some like transactions. It's still like anonymized. I I think it's better. I don't know if there's any better technology out there or anything like that. But um, from what I've seen, Monero is what many Bitcoiners hoped Bitcoin would be. Well, I think what's going to be really interesting with Bitcoin or any kind of cryptocurrency is that it's essentially, you know, it's essentially like what Austrians have been talking about for, you know, since Hayek um, or even before that, too, is the the idea of finally having this um, this genuine hard money pause, Um, you know, that um, that can actually well, at least with, you know, uh, this only happened only only combining the Austrian school with anarchism. you know, with, with Rothbard and beyond, but, um, the idea of finally, um, no longer having the status mechanism for money, um, and actually having a, you know, a a genuine money that emerges because people actually want it, you know? I would say that Bitcoin isn't a money though. Bitcoin itself has no commodity purpose. So therefore is a currency and therefore like cryptocurrency is an app description. It is a means of exchange and that's it. Like you can't do anything with a Bitcoin other than use it as a means of exchange. Well, but a money is a is a widely ex- like within an economy a widely accepted a medium of exchange, isn't it? But that that's that makes it a currency. But I wouldn't say that makes it a money because the money needs to be in the form of like commodity money, um, or like the money needs to be a commodity as well. Like gold is a commodity as well because you can use it for jewelry, computers everything else of the sort, um, Bitcoin, its value is in the fiat declaration of the people using Bitcoin, of the market, of people saying, I think it's worth, uh, I, I, it hit its like a one year high. So that's interesting. Uh, maybe the nest is coming home to roost for the uh, Federal Reserve. Um, Pretty good. But it is uh, not anything by itself it is just the means of exchange so i'd say it's currency and i wouldn't put as much faith in it as i would gold or silver or palladium or whatever um but it is most certainly cryptocurrencies as a technology are absolutely uh integral to transferring wealth across virtual distances or arbitrary distances or anything like that well i think it's at least more subversive than gold for instance i mean if we're talking about something if we're talking about something that like literally the state can't do anything about like oh hey hey give it your bitcoin what what bitcoin you know like uh or or put in monero or whatever you know make it even more private or whatever but um i mean and again like i'm not as familiar with sort of because i know i'm familiar with Mises regression theorem but um it still seems to me like if we're talking about, you know, if we're talking about money only in the sense of this, you know, an, a, a widely accepted medium of exchange within a given economy, 
I think Bitcoin, at the very least, in certain circumstances, would qualify with that. I mean, there there is the debate, of, of course, you know, whether or not Bitcoin violates the regression theorem. Um, I would just say that it it makes more sense that it doesn't seem to make make sense to me that money necessarily has to also be used for commodity, like an like an actual like independent um, commodity. Because I feel like if you if you subjectively value Bitcoin, um, you know, for for whatever reason, even if you're not using it as another commodity, like for instance, gold, you are you are using it and valuing it for a variety of different reasons subjectively. All right, let's get some uh, chats from the fox who has been in here oh, the wait, whole time. Sorry, did 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 Ingus have anything to say on that? Oh, um, I don't think so. I just remember I had a conversation. Uh, I joined like Liberty Cells at some point, connected yeah. to my local Liberty Cell, and some people were like pro Bitcoin, and someone's just like, "It's not actually money." And then Isn't he Freedom to, Cells. Like, uh, that yeah, or Liberty oh. Cells, Freedom Cells. I don't know. I don't. I forget which one. Um. I ended up just it ended up being just like a telegram channel because the website was kind of dead. Uh, but he talked about Bitcoin wasn't actually money. It's currency linked to some Mises Institute writers. I forget who the writer was specifically that I looked at, um, but made a pretty compelling case because it isn't commodity. It isn't based off of the commodity that it's currency. Uh, it's values in the fiat declaration of the people of the market rather than um, in its use towards other means um within the market i mean i think that's a fine distinction i don't really see like i mean that doesn't devalue the idea of crypto or anything like that yeah but it's just uh, like it can theoretically go to zero whereas gold can't um but i don't think it's going to go to zero because it has utility in it of itself is and is supers all right yeah I, i guess for sure um, I think the only thing that I would just say on that point is, is that I've, I've heard money defined like differently, for instance. Um, I, I haven't heard the, the caveat of, well, it has to have a commodity um, value attached to it. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm sure probably like there are probably people like in the Austrian server who could, you know, give us a better explanation on it. Because I know yeah. there have been debates on within the Austrian school, um, especially recently, over whether or not, um, first of all, crypto violates the regression theorem or whether it's a type of money. I'm more inclined, if we're using the definition of, well, okay, well, we're just defining money as needing to have this commodity value attached to it, then yeah, sure. Um, but if we're you know, going to define money differently, then it, it seems to me like crypto could count. But um, yeah, again, that's probably more of a debate for uh, like people, people more knowledgeable than the, uh, you know, in the Austrian yeah. school. All right, so we're going to get a cute few uh, quick chats from the Fox. Uh, I freely associate with you guys, but I'm sure that offends my personal FBI agent. <laughs> OMG, who would defend us from robbing basketball people without the police? <laughs> All right. Anyway, so I, I think Christ. we gotta we gotta wrap up here, guys. But uh, like, uh, I, I want to hear your last thoughts real quick. And uh, yeah, so any last thoughts on the episode? First of all, Ignis. Um, last thoughts would be uh, the mitochondria are the powerhouse. Of the cell, <laughs> uh, but read your theory i was a little bit um under prepped on some of like the proofs of self-ownership and whatnot but it's like always good to read theory don't get too deep down into it a lot of it is still being developed so don't get too hard on yourself for not knowing it uh i'd say i'm gonna wait for a lot of it to be finished and then i'll be good but um i'm i'm pretty good with where i'm at gotta read up a little bit but uh yeah take care all right yeah, and I'd say the same thing. Um, 
I, I would probably say that, yeah, I, I think I, I think I explained the whole, uh, I think the, the main thing that I kind of explained badly was just the, um, the Roderick Long minimum wage thing or a uh, wage gap article. Cause I haven't read that in a while, but I will, I, I can link that to you, Ignis, if you're curious, but yeah, I, it, it's been forever since I've read that article. Yeah. So I haven't, um, I, I, I probably explained it pretty poorly, but yeah. Um, don't be like a complete theory cell. I don't know. Like, don't be mean and gatekeepy. I guess. Like, if people are learning, and you know, I, I feel like we're we're all here to learn. You know, and that's kind of why I've um, I, I kind of hate the whole debate bro attitude that a lot of like libertarians have. Is that like, I consider debate to be a competition, whereas like I see conversations like this to be a period for learning and growth. Because yeah. I want to be like open to learning and new things and, and being proved wrong if I am genuinely wrong, you know. Yeah. Whereas I see debates to be more of a competitive thing where you're basically just going to dig your heels in and, you know, hoping that you're not going to get embarrassed because someone's looking to own you over theory, you know. Um, yeah. But hey, man, we're all just here to learn, you know, so... Like we, we have our own opinions and biases, but I, I'm, I'm interested in the arguments that are going to be, um, the best. And yeah, this was, this was super fun. I fucking, this, this was really fun. I enjoyed this. Yeah. It was good talking with you, man. But more important than anything else, make money, get pages. True. Hey, true. true. I think, um, uh, Carl Hess said something to the effect of like, um, if you're a libertarian and not poor, uh, I don't know what the fuck you're doing. If you're a libertarian, you know, you, you know, your econ shit, you should be, you should be, uh, you should be wealthy as shit, you know? Yeah. And, and I kind of do agree with that in the sense, only in the sense of like, not that like knowing Austrian econ nerdy theory is going to make you like a great businessman. Cause that's something different entirely. Yeah. But I think if you're concerned with, you know, making the world better, I think you should be, you know, trying to not make as much money as possible, but, you know, produce as much wealth as possible through whatever mechanism you feel is uh, best to do that, you know? Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah, and don't forget to smash the state. All right. Uh, For fun you... and profit. <laughs> did you have any uh, other uh, closing thoughts, Ancat? Um, oh, yeah, other than, uh, hey, I got some videos up on the channel. So I have the uh, What is Anarchism video essay. Um, also, thanks, Ignis, for giving me a shout-out. Appreciate it. I'm hoping to... I, I hate how my voice sounds, so I'm just gonna like try to improve that and sound a bit louder and more energetic with my recording. I don't know. I'm new to YouTubing and video essaying shit, so I don't know. Um, I'm hoping I can improve on that front. And then um, I've got uh, like a meme video out, kind of funny. And then I also um, uploaded a uh, two-part audiobook series um, from a uh, libertarian theorist uh, called Jacques Ellul. Um, he was this. He was this theorist in the like 1960s he was french you know but uh he uh like his work is extremely based and he um he wrote this book on propaganda which is really awesome and he just completely deconstructs uh propaganda as the sociological phenomenon explain how the state wields it and how the state uses this propaganda mechanism um to like wield people to um wield people to action or inaction whether that's, you know, passive resignation to the state's, you know, decrees or whatever. Um, but regardless, it's a really good book. It's like 16 hours long. It's, it's really long. It's like, um, I, Ignis, do you know how long a human action is? I have no clue. Okay. Well, but also sorry to say, but I got to run as you're right. still chilling your video. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah um, I guess that, that's basically my final thoughts. So go, go check that out. Go subscribe. Yeah. And yeah, it was good streaming.
All right. Well, Ignis, you can hop out, but I'm about to do my intro. Uh, just make sure uh, you guys check out Civil Offense on social media. Uh, you can find me at A-H-M-L-I-H. A-H-M-L-I-H. And uh, yeah, remember, guys, that Civil Offense is the key to winning. Thank you. Oh, Got to end the stream. <laughs> it's like, the button is there. I see it there and it's not clicking. Okay.